The Big Papa Online Network on Blog Talk Radio is on the air. Nobody could have conceived in the final decade of the 20th century that our humble affairs were being manipulated by computer interface. Not a soul could have surmised that the lives of billions were of less consequence than a decimal point in the stock exchanges of the world. Rare few even questioned the relentless exploitation of our rapidly dwindling natural resources. And yet, across the polished boardroom tables, beings immensely more devious than ourselves surveyed this defiled planet with jaundiced eyes, and swiftly and ruthlessly, they hatched foul plots against us. Listening to Weird Scenes Inside the Gold Mine. Uh, tonight we're talking, we're visiting, actually, James Bond. And we're here at Big Papa Online Network on that freaking Blog Talk Radio. I'm actually petting my cat just to calm myself down after the last 15 minutes. Uh, <laughs> welcome to the kickoff well, of, I believe, the fifth that's season. A, that's a good thing. Yeah. It yeah. works. Uh, I believe it's the fifth season of Weird Seasons of the Gold Mine. You're essential guide to all things wild and wonderful in the world of cult entertainment. Drop in for a spell and join me, Doc Savage, and my co-host, who's probably much calmer right now, Louis <laughs> Paul, as we discuss the beloved, the hated, the weird, and the wonderful world of cult film, music, television, and more. Uh, we've been gone for, oh, geez, maybe three months. So uh, for those who have never heard before, uh, we're covering classic films, shows, musicians, and literature of the past with an eye towards what new visions may still arise from the soullessly derivative modern of our modern age. So tune in, turn on, and take a step outside the mainstream as we dig deep into the rich vein of cult cinema, music, and television right here on Weird Scenes Inside the Gold Mine. So tonight, uh, we'd previously addressed the cinema of Ian Fleming's favorite son, a gritty sex man turned urbane jet setter and lounge wizard come male fantasy figure. Because, come on, who out there didn't want to be Bond or bag the plethora of global lovelies he'd made his way through in one epic adventure after another in our second season? But with a recent upgrade to Blu-ray, uh, the household of yours truly has spent the last few months wending our way through Britain's favorite son once more, from the quirkily formative fantasia of Dr. No, through the oddly flawed and gritty Daniel Craig era, with a few of the latter entries for the very first time, in fact. So, in the wake of our delve into the wide world of Eurospy and film and television, and more recent efforts like the Henry Cavill Man from Uncle and Tom Cruise's Mission Impossible scenes, series, how do these venerable classics hold up? Well, to be honest, hold on to your hats, because everything we said previously has changed, often quite radically. So it's time to stir the cloudy waters of that improperly shaken vodka martini and see where all the chips fall as we revisit Bond. So uh, I'm Doc Savage. Uh, with me is my co-host, the maven of sleaze himself, Mr. Lewis Paul. Hi, Lewis. <laughs> Hello, I'm here. We're back. Actually, I think it's been longer than three months, but we are back. 
and we're we're better than ever. We're energized. Um, it seems like every time we have a show, people die. So it's really weird. Uh, I do want to acknowledge uh, those unfamiliar to our show. Our first ten minutes. Is, yeah, I know we're twenty minutes late, and we're regretfully sorry. But <laughs> Fucking world, you know, that's what happens, you know. Let's blame it yeah. on Trump. And if you voted for <laughs> Trump, like, hang up now. We don't listen to our show. Do us all a favor. Um, anyway, I, we can do without you, you handful of people. Um, I don't care. Um, yeah, I don't care. Uh, so, anyway, yeah. Um, first things first, today's the 36th anniversary of John Lennon's uh, death. And. Yes. Uh, which I usually acknowledge uh, on FB or something. It just it just bums me out every time that happens. So um, yeah, I just want to acknowledge that it's a it's a it's a horrible loss. We're still feeling it because if he was still around, and and he was a smoker too, you know, when people you know get to a certain age, but. Um, if he was still around, I'm sure he would be a real voice out there, you know, and, and yep. uh, political things and um, a much needed voice today. Um, there are people sure. out there like, uh, uh, you know, uh, the guy who did the Daily Show, John Stewart and such, you know, and there are still people out there. But uh, John Lennon was a huge voice for the people. Yeah. And he, he's missed in so many ways, including musically. So I wanted to acknowledge that. And Greg Lake died. Um, yes. He actually died yesterday, um, or thereabouts. And uh, uh, from Emerson Lincoln Palmer, the bass player, guitar player. So, uh, yeah. If I'm correct, now we lost two thirds of them, <laughs> right? Yeah. Isn't Keith Emerson yeah. gone as well? So there we go. Yes, Keith Emerson is gone as well. I never met Greg Lake, or I don't remember. <laughs> but, <laughs> um, yeah. no, seriously, I don't think I did. And uh, it's a shame. I, I noticed an alarming an, an alarming uh, weight gain of him in the last three years. But I usually it's the reversal when you have cancer. Um, uh, he's been playing gigs sporadically, so... Uh, I, I kind of kicked myself for not catching one of those recent ones because I, yeah, I heard they've been fun and entertaining. He had a really great voice, which he still had. Uh, and, uh, you know, stuff with King Crimson, early King Crimson is pretty good. So it's a shame. But, you know, yeah, so two thirds yeah. are lost. And that was just Cole Palmer and his band of hacks. Um, <laughs> and then John Glenn today. Uh, one of the the man yes. who orbited the Earth. Uh, that's big fucking news because um, I don't know how old some of our listeners are in our age range. May run the gamut of like ten to ninety, you know, somewhere in there. This was big news because I mean, there might have been other people circling the Earth. They just never told us about it. But <laughs> this was one they told us about. So. Uh, you sound yeah, like one of those two conspiracy theorists that called in to Ed I Level on Monday. <laughs> Horrible show. Anybody that has not heard the show, do not listen to those last Monday show. You, you do not want me as a guest on a conspiracy theorist show because <laughs> uh, we never, you and I never spoke about things, but I have a lot of bones to pick with, and 
I have a lot of theories about a lot of things, which we never discussed. You mean, are you one of those people that, um, did we really land on the moon, or was it off stage? <laughs> why are you laughing? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? It's interesting. Uh, but that's not tonight's show. But yeah, John Glenn <laughs> passed away. And um, yeah, sorry to hear that. Uh, he was yes. up there. Uh, and I understand he was ill, but you know, he, you know, 75, 76, you know, but still, he's a very important figure in uh, aeronautics. And actually, I went to the Smithsonian a long, long time ago in Washington. Right. And I saw the capsule he was in. You know, the one that came back to Earth. And, and I was like, oh, man, that was so tiny and so weirdly uncomfortable. They kind of insert you feet first and up, and you're laying on your back the whole time. It's really strange. So uh, just to put up with that, you know, I give kudos to the man. Uh, yeah. Very important figure. So, yeah, but, you know, acknowledging the loss of someone, Sometime I go with then uh, on this date, and then two people who died. You know, it's just like. Oh, and don't know, forget can, can Pearl Harbor Day yesterday. Yes, yes, Pearl Harbor. And, uh, of course, uh, you know uh, one of our great new cabinet members there, uh, Mr. Newt Gingrich, uh, posted uh, on Twitter praising the Japanese for their skill in bombing the U.S. in 1940, whatever the hell it was. Did he? <laughs> yes, he did. Uh, Why did he do that? Great cabinet. He's picking a great cabinet. That's all I gotta say. It's like uh, uh, the running joke is he's going to maximum security prison now for the Secretary of State. <laughs> well, you know, I think the guy off death row. He'll be a great one. <laughs> I had a say, uh, you know, you know the movie which is much derided, which is highly entertaining, which is the the first uh, Olympus has fallen. Okay, uh, that's really if, if you've never seen that, it's really fucking entertaining. And uh, with the Gerald, what's his name, and Aaron Eckhart, and uh, it's like balls to the wall action, and it's like very entertaining. And it's uh, I think it's the Koreans attack Washington or some shit, but it's it's just really. So I would like to get all of Trump's people out, fucking kill them all, and then just to start <laughs> over, you know. At this point, you know, you pick Sarah. You even consider picking Sarah Palin. I know it's a movie show. I know, folks, but I'm sorry. We haven't been on the air for a while. You consider picking Sarah Dingbat Palin, who goes on about this and she that. She can see Russia from her house. Yet, yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. You know, and most right-wing, anti-gay, anti-LGBT, anti-female. They're, they're Anti-black, anti-white, you know, anti-everything. I mean, he doesn't, I, well, the thing is, if you really read anything, he didn't expect to win. And yes, the problem that's true. Is, it was a surprise. He did not expect to win. And since he won, it's like, what the fuck do I do? So he's listening to the bozo surrounding him, but he kicked Christy out right away because he said, oh, you are a too much problem. And... um. <laughs> And he is, and so uh, yeah. But he's just he's calling Christie too much baggage when he put Steve Bannon in there says a lot. So, <laughs> well, yeah, but he doesn't know anything about Bannon because he's he's listening to his maniacal little minions that he fostered with. Whoever. You want to know what you need to know about Steve Bannon? Zeke Heil. I do. That's I it. Do. That's yeah. all you need to know yeah. about him. <laughs> yeah, scary. All these people are scary, and and you know what? 
what's weird is I still work with people who go, so, so what do you think? About what? <laughs> you got you to gotta give him a chance. You know, he's not in yet. You know, he's going to make America great. I'm, I'm going to smack you in the <laughs> fucking head. Get away from me. Because <laughs> stop saying that. You know, like this thing with it's it, Trump. You know, everybody's like, he saved jobs. No, he didn't. He made a deal. These people have yeah. a million-dollar tax break. They're going to lose, uh, was it 2,000 jobs? Yep. And so, what did he save? <laughs> you know, he saved a couple of people's jobs, and then the CEO of that company came out and said, "Well, you know, it's not really. It didn't work out the way it's been promoted as." And, and Sarah so, Palin, so, you were just mentioned her before. To her credit, she came out and said, "This is not the way the country's supposed to run. That's crony capitalism. It's anti-American." <laughs> the deal that Trump got with Carrier. So you know, she ain't all bad. Well, you know, she's dumb. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this this whole thing is is gonna be a huge clusterfuck because you know, even yes. the most extreme right wing people are saying, "Hey, wait a minute, you know what you're doing is like kind of crazy." <laughs> so it remains to be seen. We have we have one sliver, one sliver of hope, and that's on December nineteenth, I believe. Yes. Um, all these people put the booze down and. Uh, Put their stash away and say, "Wow, you know what? <laughs> I made a huge mistake. This is not coming. This is not turning out good." And vote the other way. I don't care if Hillary gets in. Just stop the namby pamby. Oh, she looked at her emails. Who cares? Um, this guy's going to ruin the world. <laughs> so, right. uh, yeah. So, uh, come December nineteenth. Yeah, trust me. If, those who know me personally. Or have been listening yeah. to the other shows that I've done while we were off air, know that I am right. not a fan of Hillary Clinton by any means or by any standards. Yet, but when it came down to her versus Trump, yeah, you better believe I was stomping for her and hoping for her to get in. Yeah. So yeah, there's no yeah. comparison. But you know, it's it's spilled milk at this point. We just got to kind of deal with what we're being handed. It's just the deal gets rawer by the day as he picks more and more cabinet people. <laughs> it's looking darker and darker. It's gone from idiocracy. Yeah. To uh, I don't know outward fear, and did you see speaking of aviocracy that he actually picked Linda McMahon the other day? Uh, it was funny. We were watching something. My my wife uh, found this thing that I couldn't believe existed. It was a WWE NASCAR Scooby Doo crossover cartoon, right? So we're sitting there watching this with our mouths hanging open, like, wow, I can't believe this exists. And I said to her, just you know, apropos of the, the thing itself we were watching, I said, hey, you know, Lynn McMahon just went to see Trump the other day, and he used to wrestle with him, do events with him, all that crap. Do you think that he's going to give her a cabinet position? And it was kind of a joke. And then not 10 minutes later, okay, the thing ended, I went to check Facebook or whatever the hell, and I'm like, Oh my God! There's the news. He just appointed her, like you know, head of the small businesses, whatever all it is. Like, oh wow, we have officially tripped the line. Mike Judge is right. We are living idiocracy out. <laughs> President Camacho, oh, yeah. less you know, likable. I, I, I tell you something. A personal opinion of mine is, and don't laugh. A lot of people disliked Arnold Schwarzenegger, but he had a lot of progressive thoughts for a Republican. He did, and yes, yes it it meant. Changing a lot of things, but they already changed. Nothing means anything anymore, you know. Especially you know, with with Trump winning, everything changed. So if they just had to change that, I think if Arnold stuck 
to his guns and stayed in, uh, you know, and ran. I think he w- he would have been fine, you know. I think he yeah, this guy a, can get in. He has no experience, so why not? Here. If you had a Clint Eastwood and Arnold Schwarzenegger, I would have picked Arnold. Oh yeah, because yeah, he, he I think he, he would be, he's a he was a much better politician, mm-hmm. and, and Clint's crazy. <laughs> I, I sort of all, I sort of don't want to watch Clint movies sometimes. But anyway, tonight's show. <laughs> After all that, and uh, you know, I would be one of those re- rejoinders like, "Oh, the opinions expressed here are not the uh, whatever the official line of this show." But you know, who gives a shit? <laughs> whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But this, yeah, again, those unfamiliar with our show, this is what we usually do, like the first ten, fifteen minutes. Usually, though. Yeah. We blow up some steam Within and have a couple week, laughs. And- we're we're not going to uh, miss so many people who passed away, which is which is a damn shame. But uh, yeah, that's true. The way this year is going, wow. Yeah. Anyway, so and don't forget, we, we are, started off on a bad note because one of our shows earlier this year was a tribute oh, to all the people that had passed away, and so many more have gone since then. So yeah, it's been a hell of a year. So it's a hell uh, of a back year. to you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're, we're revisiting Bond. We actually did this, I believe, last season. We did we did a Bond show. I think it was a uh, Oh, was it? Yeah. Um, it was a while ago. Okay. Long, I link to it. Anybody that's anybody that looks on the page can link right to that show. It's uh, it's there in the clickable links. Uh, I think it's somewhere where the our previous show was mentioned uh, so in the script. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when we discuss seasons, we, we, well, it's a mind demented mind. I, I always kind of liken it to like a season of Doctor Who because we wind up doing like yes. six or seven shows at the season. Another six or seven exactly. shows. Right. British we seasons. are well into our second year of this. Yep. Uh, second year, so, supposed uh, fifth season. Yeah. No, it's the seventh. Is it really? No, it's, it's like the fifth. Oh, we, uh, we had just started the fourth fairly recently. Did we? All right. Who knows? It doesn't matter. It's all arbitrary. <laughs> it's all arbitrary. So, in the time since we did the Bond one, whenever it was, um, mm-hmm. you looked at, you revisited these. The entire and series from the start to finish. Wonderful man. <laughs> <laughs> We and, did it inside uh, of uh, the last two months as well, and a lot of it wow. packed into the last, you know, where it was four or five weeks. So uh, that's why I was like, you know what, we really need to do that again because a lot of people. Oh yeah, changed. I, I mean, I, I like these movies. Highly. Yeah, I was going to ask, and, uh, when is the last time you had sat down with them? Oh, recently I pulled them out. Okay, see, because when we did the last show, I even said it at the beginning, like, you know, I hadn't seen a lot of these in many years. You know, I was from the VHS days or the very early DVD days or, you know, in some cases in the theaters. Uh, right. And it was just like, okay, well, I'm going from memory. I know these films. I've seen them many times yeah. over the years, whether on TV or on whatever format. Uh, and my wife enjoyed them, and I saw them again with her and whatever. But uh, it still had been some time. So when we got this set last Christmas, I think it was, and it sat around for a while because you, know, you get piles of stuff that you can go through. Yes, the Blu-rays. And we said, okay, well, let's do it from start to finish. You know, what, what better way to do this? And, yeah, wow, some stuff was very different. Uh, so, yeah, that's why I wanted to start off with, with seeing where you were when the last time you saw these was. Because obviously for us oh. previously, it was a while back, but now it's very recent. Oh no no, I I I've I've caught up 
yeah, I'm good to go, of course. Okay. Uh, so, basically, first off, I should mention that uh, even though people tend to think of the Bond series in terms of longevity, you, you had certain actors that were associated with it for long periods of time. And especially when you got to the bit players, you know, uh, Money Penny and uh, M and Q and people like that. Some of them changed, uh, but most of them kind of hung in there. One guy I really noticed who kept changing was Felix Leiter, who even wound up as a black man at one point. <laughs> that was funny. I'm like, wow, he's changed so many damn times. You don't know what he's going to wind up Oh, that up next. was Bernie. Bernie. Um, what the hell was his name? He was the star of Gargoyles. Bernie somebody. Oh, yeah, yeah. That wasn't Bernie Casey, was it? Maybe it yes, was. Yes, it was. It was Bernie wow. Casey. <laughs> yes, Bernie Casey, who was in a whole bunch of black exploitation films, too. He was uh, ubiquitous in the 70s and the early 80s. Uh, but, yeah, it was uh, amusing to see, like, oh, he's another Felix, just another Felix, oh, another Felix. Whoa, now Felix is black. Okay. <laughs> well, actually, but you know what? Hedison, David Hedison from Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea for End yes. of Yes, well, these were a couple. I. Yeah, he was he was actually one of the few people to play Felix Leiter in a few. And Jeffrey, help me out, and then Daniel Craig, um, Jeffrey. Oh, yeah, yeah, the very recent one. Uh, what the hell was his name? Hold on. He's been in all three. Four, three of the four, I think. You make me forward up so I can see here. Uh, Felix Leiter, Jeffrey Wright. There you go. Jeffrey Wright, yeah, a really good actor. He, he was in Basquiat. He played Basquiat. Yes, and uh, so he's been the second he's black been, Felix Slater. <laughs> second black Felix Slater, yeah, and and uh, a very interesting portrayal of Felix Slater, I would say, a very yes, different take on it. Um, I think he's he's probably one of the better ones, you know. And uh, then it was Rick Van Nutter. You remember Rick Van Nutter? And, yeah, uh, what was it? <laughs> Thunderball. Rick Van Nutter was this Dutch guy. Who after he did, I think it was Thunderball. After he did that one, he did a couple of Euro spy movies as like the hero guy. He was like tall, yep. lanky, blonde, Dutch. But apparently <laughs> uh, that was about it. So, <laughs> but yeah, that was just something I, I had noted here. It's like you know I should mention that right off, just because it was kind of funny to see how often he changed and how radically he changed a couple times there. Uh, but, you know, one of the things that I think we didn't address last time that really does need to be mentioned is the theme songs um, and the scores to some extent. Because most people think – I have a, a set of CDs going way back. I think I got it when sure. I was like 20 uh, of Bond themes, and it was kind of like – I don't know what it was, the 25th anniversary or something. And basically it, it's kind of implied that John Barry was the man, and he was there for a lot of films. But right. there were other people that did these things. Now, uh, Dr. No, you know, Monty Norman did it. Uh, Living Let Die, George Martin did it, uh, because obviously, you know, Paul McCartney was involved. Well, well uh, Monty, Norman, Monty Norman composed the Bond theme. Dun, 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 right. Dun, 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 dun. But By- Barry did work on that one, correct? The first one? Uh, it, I don't think he did. I think he started with From Us With Love. That's what was interesting oh, to me. All right. Um, and he would kind of come back and forth. Like Barry would keep being like every other one, but wasn't on The Spy Who Loved Me with Marvin Friggin' Hamlish. Uh, for Your Eyes Only, Bill Conti, uh, License to Kill, Michael Kamen, Goldeneye, Eric Serra. 
David Arnold was there for a while. He was there from uh, basically almost the entire Brosnan end uh, Craig runs. But then this guy comes in and takes I over. actually like David Arnold's work, actually. I, I, really? I, I I, think, well, we'll yeah. get to it later. But I found it a little bit odd, some of the stuff he's just choosing to throw in there. <laughs> <laughs> but the important thing was the themes themselves because, all right, you know, Dr. No was just the Monty Norman theme. I don't think they even had a, a person singing it. The only thing he had was that, uh, that, that Calypso song they sang about three blind mice or whatever the hell, and that was playing through the entire movie. Oh, that um, was, yeah, yeah, but that wasn't underneath the mango tree. Yeah, well, that was there too. You're right, but uh, yeah. they did do another one, the three blind mice in the beginning. Yeah, the three blind mice thing. Yeah, yeah, that got very popular. It was like a reggae version of that. Harry Belafonte covered that, too. Yeah. Uh, and, of course, you had Matt Monroe doing his uh, level best to be a proto-Tom Jones on From Russia With Love. Uh, Shane Bassey what? doing... Matt Monroe. Matt Monroe's version of that is tolerable. I have yeah, to say. I, 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 think, I think if you didn't know who it was, the first thing you would say is, is that Frank? No, it's not Frank. Who's that? And that's the cool <laughs> thing about Matt Monroe. He was like one of these like Brit guys who was like, who's that? You know? Um, yep, he was a chameleon. Yeah, he was a chameleon. Like, and I don't know. I, 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 I can't stand Shirley Pass's gold finger. I just find it so... Gold finger! <laughs> It's like, oh my God, it's a proctology exam about to happen. You yes. Know, like, oh well, that's no. why they call her Brassy Shirley Bassey. <laughs> now, Tom I, mean, Jones, I like it. Yeah. I like the Shirley Bassey anyway, just because it is, it, it says, it speaks to like the 60s kitsch of the whole thing. You know, it's, the, it's the era, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's the, uh, you know, lounge woods sort of thing that they always went for. So, yeah, but I mean, it's the same way that you say, oh, yeah, I love Liberace. You know, it's like, yeah, okay, you got your tongue planted firmly in your cheek when you say that. So, yeah, shit, that's where she is. Uh, Tom Jones, you were getting to with Thunderball. Okay, again, Tom Jones is kitschy. I mean, he's really blown out the speakers. And, uh, you know, uh, Grace Slick once said that she can't sing worth a damn, but she can blow out all the monitors. <laughs> he was yeah. one of those guys. I mean, he could hold a note and stylize it a little bit, but that's all he was, was the volume and the, you know, showing his crotch in the girls' faces. <laughs> and they loved it. So, uh, I, I, I that's what makes him fun. I agree with that about Tom Jones. I think there was more to him. I think as he as he got older, he found things about him, his style. That's a, that's a have terrific you ever song. Watched, have you ever watched the Tom Jones show, though? Yeah. Because they have a couple oh. of diffs out of, like, him with, you know, whatever, rock stars or famous jazz people or uh, Christmas good. shows. Yeah, some of the shows are okay, but if you watch him and his performances, I mean, if you're not laughing, you're, you know, I don't know what's wrong with you. <laughs> so, you know, there definitely is that kitsch factor to him. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, it's not like the kitsch factor, but then there's something like all of a sudden, like, why is this working? I saw him with Crosby, yeah. Stills, and Nash doing Love the One You're With. That should really? not work. And I was like, oh, my God. How is that working? Oh, well, I would do a Tom a... Jones impression for you, but it rattles speakers. <laughs> Which, if you're going to do Tom Jones, that's the way it's got to sound. Uh, do you sound like him? Well, I mean, I've got a baritone, which is similar to his, like, you know, wild tenor that he's got. Uh, but, you know, just basically you just shout really loud. <laughs> you just let it blow. Uh, hey, I, I, right I saw him not long ago. I was very impressed. Very impressed. 
I always like them actually. And despite what I'm saying here that I'm laughing at him again, it's the kitsch factors like, ah, you know, Tom Jones is great, but you know, can you take him seriously? You know, that's the, that's the uh, flip side of that. Um, but I will say Thunderball is probably one of the better early songs. It's just so sure. over the top, especially when he gets to the end and he starts doing that Thunderball. Yeah, well, he's holding it, but he's also, because it's an underwater theme, he's making it like he's falling and waving underwater. So he's got that heavy quaver on it. <laughs> it's hilarious. That's probably the studio, though, too. Yeah, I'm sure. They if do. you put that, you know, like we got the Blu-ray, we're running through our speakers in the house and everything. You got that floor rattling with that. Yeah, it, you'll notice. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you only look twice. They like Nancy that. Sinatra, of all people. I like Good. that one. It's one of it my favorites. It is a decent song. It actually is one of the better songs in the thing. And, you know, Nancy Sinatra is kind of like a, a no-talent. What, what'd she do? These boots are made for walking? That was kind of it. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, but yet the song really works. So again, there's something there. There's something special about Bond that makes people that you necessarily wouldn't even like normally. And, and you know, they laid on a decent track. It's pretty good. Um, I don't think uh, Our Majesty's Secret Service even had a, th- a song. Uh, once again, I think it just went back to John Barry. Um, so your pal Shirley Bassey came back for Diamonds Forever, Forever, Forever. She's like. Um, Eartha Kit, but without the class, if you want to put it that way. You know, I don't really like, you know, because I get a kick out of Eartha Kit. She's funny. I enjoyed her as Catwoman. I certainly enjoyed her uh, solo career singing uh, all these kitschy jazz numbers where she was basically, you know, talking about, you know, rocking over the man. Uh, <laughs> but when you get to this one here, it's just like, I don't know. Shirley Bassey is like, that's the only way I can look at her. It's a very whited up, very safe, but goofy version of uh, Eartha Kit. Um, so once again, she's back. Then you got, then they started, did a trip. Okay, because those first, you know, many themes were all kind of fitting the lounge lizardy, whatever, uh, kind of looking backwards to the 50s and the early 60s, even though we're talking about going into the 70s now. Uh, but then they decided, you know what, let's get more hip and commercial. And I think this is where things started to get dicey. It would be a while before they jumped the shark, I mean, at least like 14 years. But you start wondering about some of the people they're picking, some of the songs they're doing. All right, Live and Let Die, you know, typical Paul McCartney solo. He has a bunch of ideas, none of them gel, and he throws it together like a collage and says, here you go, here's a song for you. It works. It's a, it's definitely one of the more memorable Bond theme songs, but is it really wow. a song? I don't know. You know, it's kind of like yeah, Jet. It's all over freaking place. Uh, it's, a lot of diff- it's a lot of different pieces put together for sure. Right. That's what he does, this cut-up oh. technique. He has a whole bunch of ideas, and he doesn't have, like, John there to bounce the ideas off and fill it out. Yeah. He has no idea how to put it together. He just kind of crazy glues them in any old way. So you got, like, the leg bone well, connected to the, the arm bone. He died in the car crash. Don't you remember this? <laughs> yes, I heard that. Paul is dead. Paul is dead. <laughs> Revolution 9? 9? 9? Well, well it makes a lot of sense. Like, all of a sudden, we have 40 years of trail key music. It's like, come on. <laughs> oh, come on. I just had somebody, and they were young, too, uh, just railing about how they, the number one Christmas song they cannot stand is simply having a wonderful Christmas time. And it, I always laugh at it once again, kind of kitschy. But I was like, wow, this song really is – there's nothing to it. It's like a, a commercial jingle. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, you can not some of that Linda. But... song of all time, though, but by far. But, uh... Not by far. Uh, but yeah, you know, I mean, even hearing young people say this, which is like, wow, that song really must stink. 
<laughs> people have across <laughs> generations to hate it that much. <laughs> I, I, uh, I, I don't I don't dislike. Um, this is gonna be a long show, folks. We haven't gotten to the movies yet. I don't dislike <laughs> that. Uh, it's okay. It's our first one in a while. Uh, I don't dislike. Watch. I actually, you know, da, 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 da. it's like, oh, you know, it's like, it's got like this weird oh, stanza first, stanza first, and then it's got like this yep. completely different piece that's been melded into it. And, you know, I think a lot of that had to do with George Martin, you know, and his influence on that song. But that's what makes it funny because you get the whole part where he's building, living, let die, and all of a sudden, da, 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 da. like, well, where'd this come from? And it doesn't fit, yeah. but somehow it manages to work. So uh, it actually still is it's one work, of the better yeah. songs in the. Uh, but then you got, where they go next from, okay, they, they dumped uh, Shirley Bassey. Oh, let's go for Lulu, <laughs> the man with the golden gun, which may be, until pretty recently, one of the worst Bond songs ever recorded. <laughs> <laughs> My yeah, wife's sitting with her mouth hanging up and like, wow, this song it, sucks. Yeah, it was a bad idea, <laughs> but, but in a way it's fine because to me it's one of the worst Bond movies. Yeah, so. it is pretty bad. And, you know, remember it's all sexual double entendres, which is, makes it doubly tacky and cheesy. Uh, you know, of course, it also makes it uh, priceless in a way. You're like, wow, i got to hear this freaking song. The only um, thing that movie had going for it that was cool was the pre-release poster when it said Bond is coming this Christmas. And there was a pre-release poster. It was all black, and it was like the gun being made from a cigarette lighter and a pen. Mm-hmm. And, or and I, which, which I used, yeah, which I used to have. I got damaged in the flood years ago, and uh, it was a really nice poster. It's very rare nowadays. Like, oh, kill me now. And um, that was about the coolest thing about that. Well, yeah, I agree. Little song. <laughs> It's uh, so too late. Lulu's popularity was like fucking ten years previous. So oh, yeah, again, with love, when the hell was that? Sixty-six. This is seventy-four. We're talking yeah, about. yeah. The the, the the broccolis, you know, and the uh, uh, Schwartzman was still working with them at the time, and you know, it's just, um, <sighs> Saltzman. Sorry, Saltzman, and they were known to be out of touch for certain things, and certainly the songs. <laughs> Yep, and speaking of out of touch, what comes up next? Okay, who's popular on the radio? Oh, this Carly Simon girl. Why don't we throw her on? What the fuck? You're sitting there watching a Bond movie. Nobody does it better? That, wow, that, yeah. that is it, – yeah, it just doesn't fit. I mean, the song itself is okay. It's a, a fair enough Carly Simon song, but what the hell is it doing uh-huh. in a Bond movie? Shirley oh, Bassey comes back for a yeah. third time. Oh, good. I know you were saying more about that. that. Go for it. Uh, for Moonraker, uh, and that's actually her best song. Out of the three, because it, it's inoffensive. <laughs> uh, I, it's totally unmemorable. I, I can barely remember Well, that. that's part of inoffensive, so you don't remember it. Yeah. Uh, then you got Sheena Easton doing For Your Eyes Only, which, okay, yeah, it's a good song, and I guess it could sort of fit, but it's still like, why Sheena Easton? Morning Train? This is even before she did Sugar Walls and Strut. I mean, like, what the hell were they thinking? Uh, mm-hmm. Then Rita Coolidge, All Time High, I'm like, Wait a minute, were they going for Carly Simon again and couldn't get her? What the hell is that all about? But, but um, see, this is, this is that thing again, though. This is that thing again. What year is that movie? That was 83. Way past 83. the cool. Just, uh, and, and she was right, big with exactly. Chris Christopherson. What was it, 74, right. 75? It was also in Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid from 72, right. with, uh, the Sam Peckinpah movie. So they, they really, it's like they sent the letter to somebody. They didn't get to them until like 15 years later. Like, hey, she's popular. 
Uh, they must have put a message in the bottle and floated it <laughs> across the ocean. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and by no means am I knocking Rita Coolidge. I, you know, she's, uh-huh. she's, she's very good at what she does, personally. But, um, yeah, you know, way too, you know, too far, too gone, too, too, yeah. Ish. But, you know, even though we knocked a lot of these songs, they're all listenable. They're all funny. Even yeah. Man with a Golden Gun. Uh, View to oh. Kill is actually... The very last good Bond song, which is sad. I'll, I'll make an exception favorite. later for garbage. I like this it's song. It's my favorite. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's nothing wrong with Duran Duran anyway, especially in the earlier days, uh, before they started doing stuff like the Reflex. But, you know, this was a good song. You really can't knock it. Okay, it's New Wave. It's a little strange coming from, you know, like a Bond film being all retro like that, but it works. But then... I like that they let them they let them not only be themselves, they let them not only be Duran Duran for that song but they yep. actually they let them write their own song the face, and they let them they let them fuck a little bit with the, that little intro there that little mm-hmm. scratching thing which was kind of popular at the time yep. with that little record scratching thing and I said, you know what to this day, if you're going to say and I've sat down with a bunch of drunken Bond fans at, at like conventions, like late at night in somebody's hotel room. Like, I, I'm really into Bond. What do you think? I would say that's my favorite Bond song. Really? I like so, it a lot. So now, so I can't knock you for that. Because they never talked Bowie into doing one, and that would have been a really good one because he would have been the perfect True. match for a Bond song. But the voice True. and his unique way of looking at things musically, but it didn't happen. Um, and you know what else was interesting about this song? It's about the intro. It made me think, like, wait a minute, they were kind of doing the same thing that they would do, or at least part of the band would do, with the power station, with those wide yes. open Tony Thompson style drums going off the bass and the keyboard stings. Like, that's really unique, just musically. I was like, that was a strange thing to do, but it works. So, oh yeah, but Robin again, Palmer. that yeah, yeah. This is like my last. You know, okay, this is a really good Bond song. After this, they really got kind of questionable. So next time uh, they're trying to copy that success, say, okay, who else is popular in New Wave? Okay, well, first off, you get a band that was popular in probably 84 in 87. All right, not a horrible thing, but it changed a lot in those days. So it was kind of like saying, oh, let's pull out you know, Fabian and Surf Rock when it was you know, the hippie era. I'm like, whoa, whoa, it's a little bit late. Uh, so they pull out, aha, who did one song, Take On Me. So here they do The Living Daylights. It's a bad song. I know what they were trying for. I know they were hoping to get another Duran Duran, but it doesn't fucking work. Uh, no. Then they really no, got a really, really super bad, really super bad choice there. Uh, I mean, I I knew, well, I don't know him. Uh, somebody I used to work for on, on the other uh, podcast show I used to do uh, was like, they're my favorite band in the world. I'm like, haha, no really. <laughs> oh, okay. So, uh, I hate this song because there's nothing to it. And yeah. they were like a one-hit wonder, which they had yep. take on me, which is fine. If you're in a club, hey, I like this song. Give me another beer. Otherwise, it's like, <laughs> you know. They uh, might as well pull fucking Kajagoogoo. They would have got a funkier song. <laughs> very, very well said. Yes, I think Jab would have been a better choice. Uh, so then they go, I actually thought it was Tina Turner twice, but they did Gladys Knight and Tina Turner, two washed up stars from the 60s, here in 1989 and 1995 for License to Kill and Goldeneye. Horrible, 
especially Golden Eye. I'm like, oh my God, what a bad song. Then they go, okay, who's popular now? 1997, again, a couple years too late, maybe. Sheryl Crow, really? Uh, then here's the one I was going to make the exception for. Of all people, Shirley Manson from Angel Fish and then Garbage, you're probably more well-known for, uh, shows up and does The World Is Not Enough in 99. And the fucking song really works, I got to say. That one is a good song. It's the only light in this entire period from 87 to 2016 after all the songs are shit. The next one is one of the absolute worst. Madonna pops up doing her, you know, you remember when she started getting really into like faux Kabbalah shit and doing like weird dance music. So she does die another day and look at the movie later. Cause the movie was terrible in itself. But, uh, instead of being about like bond or spies or love or espionage, or whatever, she's doing this weird thing about Samadhi. I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about woman? I'll just die on the third day, eight, 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 eight. and it's sort of like you know weird electronic effects, and it, it was awful. I'm like, wow, this woman's embarrassing herself. Out of that period, which is called music, so? and uh, yeah, I think music is a wow. really good album from her. But that uh, woman's embarrassing herself. Yeah. Oh. Uh, then you got friggin' the okay. Talking about way behind. It's 2006. What are you gonna? What's what's the popular music now? Grunge. They pull out fucking Chris Cornell from Soundgarden, and he oh, does yeah. this horrible, horrible song on Casino Royale. I remember I saw it in the theater. I'm like, what was that? What song is it crazy? You know my name. And he's yeah, you know the whole my way name. Oh, wow, what a bad bit. I mean, it's like every one of these was like worse than the one that came before it. Uh, yeah, that then was you got, cringeworthy. Yeah. <laughs> speaking of no talents. You got, I thought it was like some rapper, like, you know, was this little camera or some shit? No, it's Alicia Keys with Jack White from the White Stripes doing oh, Another Way yeah. to Die. Oof, what a horrible song. I was like, you know, and worse than that, okay, all the other songs were dumb or failed in one way or another. This was low class. This was pandering to like the WWE crowd. I was expecting Bond to grab his crotch and spit. I mean, it was like, what the fuck is this doing here? <laughs> uh, <laughs> And then we get Skyfall with Adele. Why does everybody like Adele? Another no talent. I was like, this is horrible. It wasn't as bad as the one surrounding it, but it was bad uh, and depressing. And then finally, well, Sky, well, Sky, well, hold on, hold on. Skyfall is uh, it was her shtick, and they, I think they kind of like edged her into that one. I think I think it's okay. I I it's not very good. Yeah, but it wasn't I, as bad as the one surrounding it. No, but 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 <laughs> which one did we already say was like one of the very worst? Lulu, right? Lulu's one. Yeah, Madonna. Right. Another and way to the die one with Jack White. Right, right. Yes, and this one, one here. The one we're about when to I address. When I say those other ones, not. Yeah, the one we're about when to address is not only. Probably the all-time worst Bond song. Yes. It's one of the all-time worst fucking things that should never, ever have been released on radio, CD, record player, whatever it's called. Media of any kind. It's a horrible song. This song is bad. It was like, (laughs) you know, I'm sitting there listening to this. I'm like. What the fuck were they singing? Actually, I'll jump ahead to what I wrote when I was like, I, I took a couple of notes on some of the later ones. This is the theme song. 
along with the Madonna one, this stands out as the absolute worst, most unbond song ever used in the series. If they wanted the gay man to sing in falsetto and have, not have it be a joke like it was here, they could have tapped Andy Bell from Erasure or Jimmy Somerville from Bronski Beat and the Communards, and or they would have actually gotten Somerville. a good song. Yeah. They would have gotten yeah. a good song. This guy's a fucking no talent going from a comedy falsetto to grumbly chest voice to mopey in the course of a single line. Like the Madonna one, it's the only time I laughed out loud at the sheer ineptitude of the performance and how off it was as a Bond theme. And that's after sitting through what I thought was two by a washed up Tina Turner. It turns out it was Gladys Knight and Tina Turner. One by AHA and a runner for worst in show by that other talentless hack, which was, you know, Adele and Lulu there. Uh, well, you know, fucking believable. Sam Jones was that his name? Sam Jones. Uh, Sam Smith. The the Sam Smith. Sam Jones. The fuck. Uh, <laughs> you could tell by listening to the song that they had trouble putting it together. It sounds like a difficult song just putting together, not making it any. Oh, it must have been a hard song to write. No, that's not what I mean at all. It means like this is, should have been a really simple song. There's no chorus. Yep. There's no chorus. There's no the, the verse. It's just like the song like meanders on until it's over. And, and it's you know, all this really... chest gazing. Yeah, it's just like the last three songs. I think there are last four songs. This navel gazing, you know, poor me emo bullshit about breaking up with your girlfriend or boyfriend, as the case may be. And, you know, how you, everything's all fucked up and what the hell, I'm just going to be miserable and sit here and, you know, drown in the sewer by drown my sorrows and booze until I die. Like, the fuck is this? This isn't a Bond song. Horrible. Horrible performance. Really horrible bad. songwriting. Yeah, I think it was Universal, one of the worst, and, and it was a bad, bad mistake. Yeah, um, and that goes for the movie, too, but again, we'll get to that. So the early oh, ones oh, we obviously addressed oh, previously. Which one what? was this? The last? Oh, no, no, I, I was saying uh, that was the last one, Spectre. Yeah, yeah, we'll talk about Spectre later. Yeah, we'll get there later. So the early movies, we have dressed pretty well last time, but there are some things that changed. Uh, when I watched Dr. No again, I was like, you know, I always knew this was kind of the weird outlier of the series, and it's got a charm for that. I'll say that. But it doesn't really feel Bond. I don't think they hit the formula yet. And I think we mentioned yeah, that last time we talked movie. about it. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, there's certainly a lot to recommend. That Sean Connery's great. A lot of the performances are good. Uh, you know, there's some embarrassing stuff like uh, what's his face there is Dr. No with the, the pulled up eyebrows. Like he's supposed to be Chinese. Joseph Wiseman. Oh, Joseph Wiseman. Right. Uh, but, you know, it was the time period. It was the very early 60s. All right, fine. You can forgive Jack it. Lord, Jack Lord is the first Felix Leiter from Hawaii. Folks. Yes. And that was a strange choice, too. Like, okay, Hawaii Five-0. What the hell is he doing there? It was almost like picking uh, Cookie Burns. Cookie, let me your comb. And they could have made him Felix Leiter. Like, really? <laughs> I mean, well, you know, Johnny, but it's a strange-looking dude, too. He, I, I he always was. thought he was like... Maybe he was part, I don't know, I never delved into this. Was he part Hawaiian or something? I mean, he had, I don't know. He, he had this you know who else they could have picked besides, if they were going to yeah. go for like a Jack Lord type, which is strange in the first place. Besides Cookie Burns, the other guy they could have picked was, believe it or not, Warren Beatty. Remember when he was on, uh, what yeah. the hell was that show, uh, the, the teenage show there uh, with uh, Bob Denver and, uh, oh, I can't remember, Dobie Gillis. Uh, when he was on Dobie Gillis, that was the same kind of character. I'm like, really? Uh, but, you know, again, it's the first movie. It was decent for what it was. It just was a little off. Some, All right. 
it's a little off, but there's there's enough sadism to please me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but because what really started blowing my mind. But there's like those little odd touches, like in Doctor No, like uh, when uh, when the, the girl's hand is crushed on the light bulb for the camera. It's like, yes. oh, that's unusual. Um, um, there's the the inference that that uh, that Honey Wilder, uh, that's her name, right? Or yes. Think of the porn actress. Honey Rider. Was well, Honey Rider? Honey Rider. Yeah, sorry, Our Honey Wilder is a porn <laughs> uh, Honey Rider, played by Ursula Andress. Ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, the Honey Rider uh, will be left by Doctor No to be gangbanged by his millions. You know that's yes. gonna happen. And that's totally inferred. It's like we're yes. gonna chain her down, and then she will she will please my men. And you're like, holy shit! This is 1960 what? Two? This is crazy. Yes. Um, also and she is also with her. Mm-hmm. I was just gonna say she had a strange career anyway because she came out of Elvis's fun in Acapulco uh, around this time. I think she did Hammer She. Uh, she did Tenth Victim, which is kind of like really cheesy but fun uh, Euro. I don't know what you want to call oh, that for Medi almost. That's a lot later. Uh, yeah, yeah. She does Red Sun with Charlie Bronson, The Sensuous Nurse. Uh, my father was always hot for her in that thing. Uh, Fernando DeLeo's Loaded Guns, <laughs> Clash of the Titans. She had a strange career after this. Yeah, yeah. You always God. Wonder what was like? What was going on with her? Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. she had so much, but she did really have potential in this movie. Oh yeah. Um, and I mean, yeah. Even like Anthony Dawson, who was in this, uh, who was the professor, right? He had a strange yeah. career too because he came out of Hitchcock's Dial M for Murder. And I think right before this, he did uh, Curse of the Werewolf for Hammer. He was in The Haunted Strangler, uh, which I think had Karloff in it. He was in Death Rides a Horse, the spaghetti western. Uh, and then he wound up in Ghoulies 2. Like, really, what? Uh, but, you know, the British character actors, you figure they're jobbing around. But, you know, Andrus was really strange with her career choices. i got to say that. Um, let's see who else we got here. Uh, so then we move on to uh, From Russia with Love. And the thing with that is I always said, and I'm almost positive I said it in the last show as well, that this was like probably my favorite Bond film. And for many years it was. But now I look back and I'm like, this is when I started noticing a couple of things about the Bond series. As fun as they are, there's something very, very teenage about them. And when you get old and you have a little more experience in life, like, wow, did I really look up to that? <laughs> you know, it's like, I mean, it's, it's fun and all, but it's like, wow, that's really kind of stupid and juvenile. The problem with From Russia With Love was it was super, super uh, stodgy. I mean, more so than Dr. No. Dr. No moved and had a, I guess maybe because of this island setting and the Calypso music and whatever, it was a little more bouncy. It was a little more 50s feeling, a little retro. From Russia With Love mm. felt very 60s, and it felt very where Bond would go. It's just, it was so stodgy. And scenes play out for way too long. Uh, with the Blu-ray, I noticed that there was a lot of bad sets and maps uh, that they were using, and they would use throughout Connery, at least, if not going into more. Um, it just, I don't know, so much of it felt like, wow, this is not as you know, fast-moving, exciting, fun, and um, what do you want to say, vibrant, as I remembered it. It's, you know, it still has its merits. It's not a bad film by any means, but looking back at it, it was like, Wow, my opinion has really radically changed on this. And you know, well, having a second opinion here with my wife sitting there, I was like, we both had very similar reactions. I'm like, 
wow, okay. I don't know if it's the Blu-ray, seeing it that way changed it, or if it was seeing them in, you know, okay, this is only the second one we saw in, that, in the run, but seeing them all together. But yeah, I, have very, I walked away from it feeling very differently about it. So go ahead. Well, well, that one, that one is one of my personal favorites. It's got a lot of problems. Uh, pacing is definitely one of them. Yes. Um, and I mentioned sadism in reference to Doctor No, and that, that does oh, appear yeah. again in this picture. Uh, a lot. Rosa Clapp, <laughs> the implied lesbianism. Uh, uh, Rosa Clapp for uh, Daniela Bianchi's character, Tatiana. Um, there's some really cool stuff in it still, even for its time period, the the whole gypsy camp thing. Uh, Pedro Amandaraz yes. playing the uh, the uh, Turkish fellow uh, is really terrific. Yeah, Karim Bey or whatever, yeah. Karim, Karim don't forget Rosa Klebb herself. Rosa Klebb, Rosa yeah, Klebb Rosa herself Klebb. was Lottie Lenya. Yeah, so already you got this thing where she was this famous. Uh, what was she like a German shampoos and dancer? Yeah, I mean she was a big deal back in like you know the twenties and the thirties. Uh, yeah. And here she is, this kind of what do you want to say? She kind of looks like Nancy Walker. I mean, like this pie faced, you know, funny looking woman. Yeah, that's uh, good, Nancy Walker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, you know, you know, I remember always the thing with her dancing around with the points, the tips of her shoes, right? And I was amazed to find that. That wasn't very long in the film. It was only like a minute or two, and it was at the very end. I mean, literally, it was right before the credits rolled. I'm like, wow, I thought it was a lot earlier. So, go ahead. Yeah. And Robert Shaw, uh, who's a yes. terrific, terrific actor. Um, Robert Shaw um, was probably presented with, with a role that was, for him, probably problematic. You know, what do I do with this? I'm supposed to be a grunt, and yet I'm supposed to... I'm supposed to reveal learnedness and, and, and an air of uh, respectability and uh, intelligence. So it's a very problematic part for him to play. You know, mm-hmm. uh, that being said, the fight scene by today's standards is meh, but by those days' standards, it was pretty well done. That's it. I remember it being a lot more violent and crazy and action-packed. And I'm watching, and I'm like, this actually is a lot slower than I remember. And then it's more measured in pace. And, yeah, I mean, it's still sadistic. It's still kind of like on the edge of your seat in some respects. Like, oh, my God, is he really going to do that? But, you know, it's not the way I remembered it. Uh, and, of course, you know, Martin Beswick, uh, who's a longtime hammer and uh, British cult film person, shows up in this briefly as one of the gypsy girls. Um Goldfinger then, okay, yeah, this was a good film. And, uh, I don't want to say better than I remembered it, but it was it, it definitely held up really well. It was the first one that I started thinking, like, okay, it, it's getting to be more Bond now. But still, uh, more stodgy than I recalled. Um, Gert Froba, even though he is the ostensible protagonist, wasn't in it quite as much as I remembered. Uh, Honor Blackman, who was the Bond girl, you know, comes in here as uh, Pussy Galore. And, of course, you know, we, when we talked to our Avengers <laughs> show, she's Kathy Gale. Uh, to the Devil of Daughters, she was in Shalico, uh, Fright with Susan George. She was in a Doctor Who episode, Terror of the Vervoids. You know, she's got a good career behind she, she has She has an amazing line, too. They have an amazing, amazing exchange. For, for 64, it was like, whoa. It's like, yes. He's like, he wakes up and he goes, I'm busy galore. He goes, I bet you are. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh my uh, God. 
And what's funny is, you know, they pulled her from the Avengers where she was being Kathy Gale uh, to do this movie. And they have a tradition of pulling people from the Avengers and not really using them properly. They don't really do much with them. So here she is. She's known as the one that, you know, the tough girl going around in the leather jacket, you know, hanging around with the young teddy boys or whatever the hell, taking no bullshit from anybody, riding motorcycles. She's kind of like the John Pertwee for Doctor Who. Uh, you know, like almost like the gadget person. Oh, yeah, we got something to do here. I'm going to jump right on and take care of that for you. And she wrote a, a book about judo because she was big on that. And apparently, the big burly stuntmen that were over there, everybody was scared to work with her because they were afraid that she was going to hurt them. Because she, yeah, she knew the judo, she'd give them like a nasty backflip or whatever the hell. Uh, and yet, what does she do in this movie? Okay, she's a little bit. There is a scene or two, like I remember in the Hayloft or whatever the hell, but not that much. She's really underutilized. And again, that kind of starts a tradition of Avengers people being underutilized for Bond films. And uh, of course, well, men don't want to be with the men. I would say, I, if we're going to go there, I'd say she was used better than Diana Rigg was in Honor yes. Service. Yes, that's for sure. We'll get to that one, too. Uh, Shirley Eaton, of course, has a big uh, – she's kind of famous for this film. She was in the Carry On films, some of the Doctor films, the Fabian Tennell Indians, Mickey Spillane's The Girl Hunters, Franco's Girl from Rio, and Blood Fu Manchu, those of you listen to our Franco show. Actually, uh, actually yet, oh, name drop something. She's really good in The, in the Girl Hunters, the Mickey Spillane yeah, picture. Is. She's she really is. good in that, and and uh, actually she's fucking terrific in that. And that's a movie that, uh, folks, if you haven't seen it, I highly recommend it because it's like it's a noir type, my camera type thing, and it's so starring funny. the guy who wrote my camera. And the funny thing is, you yeah. hear some people say, oh, he's too stiff. He was great. The guy's a fucking writer, and he was doing better acting than half the people in the cast. So, you he know, was an don't believe the hype. Actor. He was fine. Yeah. It's amazing. Exactly. The one and only acting job by Mickey Spillane. And he was fine. <laughs> with my and it was good. <laughs> it, was, it was a good uh, movie. And she plays a real evil woman. And, uh, but not she for plays long. <laughs> well, not for uh, Oh, in that no. movie, yeah. But yeah, in yeah. Goldfinger, she's barely in the damn thing. Um, and of course, you've got Harold Sakata, you know, his odd job. And he would carry that with him, and he would even go by Harold Oddjob Sakata on film credits, doing stuff like Bill Graffay's Impulse and Al Adamson's Death Dimension with Jim Kelly. I mean, he would carry this with him forever. This was like his one big role. You know, it's memorable enough for sure, and it's definitely uh, one of the most Bondian films so far, but we only have three films in. Again, still a little bit stiffer than I remembered it. Uh, and here's you know one of the other Felix letters. We got Second Linda this time. Um, Anything else you want to say about this one? Oh, Richard Vernon's in it too, and Burt Kwok. Burt Kwok, who was uh, in the Clouseau Kato. films. Yep, Cato. He was in Who Done It, Brides of Fu Manchu, Terror of the Tongues. You know, he was a well-known British character actor. Anytime they needed the the sinister Asian or whatever the hell there he was, um, and you know, he's just pops up in this. Is yeah, yeah it's, it's a bit part basically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep, <laughs> once again. Um, uh. I'm not a fan of Goldfinger, and I'm less, but, but it's enjoyable. I'm less yeah. of a fan of Thunderball for some reason. I, I just that's never... what's interesting. 
because if you listen to the last show, I'm sure I said it. I always never liked Thunderball. It was always kind of like, why is there such a big deal about this movie? It's you know too much underwater. It's too much whatever. Uh, you know, not all the girls are that attractive. I'm not really into Luciana Paluzzi and you know Claudine Ogier is okay, but it really didn't. It wasn't like, oh wow, here's the the beautiful Bond girl and here's the some great locations and a great villain. You know, I love Adolfo Celli, but he wasn't really on point as like, oh, look, the scary baddie. He was just kind of like, he was worse than Gert Frobe. He was just kind of sitting back like, yeah, whatever. Give me my paycheck and a bottle of wine. Uh, <laughs> whereas, you know, uh, uh, Gert Frobe was probably like, oh, yes, give me some sausages and some, you know, my stein. Mm. And he's happy. Uh, and, you know, laughing at them the whole time. Uh but Thunderball really held up, and what was interesting was it held up better than I felt about it ever in my life. So that was one of the first big changes for me was all of a sudden I'm like, oh, my God, now I get Thunderball. And it really is the first time the series clicks. Uh, and I think my wife felt the same way, not as much as me, but I was like, you know, I never liked this fucking film before. But it really is – it moves, and I love the bit in the health spa. Uh, you know, there were things in there that, of course, I'd seen them before and I recognized them, but it just, I didn't remember them being this, um, effective, basically, you know, potent, um, things finally start to move in the right respect. Yes. Some of the underwater scenes drag on too much, but you know, it wasn't anywhere near as much of a downer as I remember it being, or as you seem to think it is. So go ahead. What was your take on it? You still there? Okay, I hope I'm still there. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, I don't know if uh, one of us is off air. Let's find out. I would play some light hold music, but I don't know if I'm the one that's gone. Okay, so let me try this. I'm going to log off just for the heck of it, and I'll come right back, and hopefully that will fix things. I am here. Are you there? Okay. Now I hear you again. Yes. So what yeah, happened? Yeah, I, Did I go off? Did you go off? No. Uh, I didn't hear you. Sorry, folks. We're having like new sh- new serious problems. You you oh, went yeah. silent, and then I thought it was like my volume or something. So I unplugged my stuff, and then I plugged it back in wrong. And, but we're back. <laughs> yeah, I thought on. you Sorry. went silent. So I don't know where I left off. Do you have any idea what I was saying when I cut out? Thunderball. Well, obviously, yeah. But basically what I was saying at the end was, if I didn't say it already, because who knows which one of us was on air and which one wasn't. Um, no, you, 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 you were saying, no, you were saying that upon retrospect, revisiting Thunderball, how much you actually enjoyed it. Yes. And what was your take on it? Because obviously you still seem to think that it's, you know, the way I felt about I, it previously, that I was like, eh, it doesn't work that well. I, yeah, I, 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 I have this issue with Thunderball. Uh, the cast is good. The film looks good. Uh, Terrence Young, director, uh, it was a big, huge, it's probably their biggest production at that point. 
uh, in terms of budget, money, and all the the locations they were going to, Jamaica, etc. Uh, I don't have a fault with the casting so much as I, I, I just, there's something off about the movie, and it's always been that way for me. Oddly yeah. enough, a movie we we will get to tonight that we didn't get to last time, the right. remake of that, um, I actually like better, though it's, I like spent a lot less money on it. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so let's move on to uh, You Only Live Twice, which I don't think anything changed. I, I think we even spoke about this off air that both of us, maybe our favorite Bond film, uh, you know, talking yeah. about you and me, not just me and my wife. Uh, it still holds up. Nothing has really changed yeah. about it. Uh, you know, side chin. Uh, Akiko Wakabayashi, who I still have a thing for. She was in stuff like, you know, Dover the Space Monster, Gidra the Three Headed Monster, What's Up, Tiger Lily, King Kong vs. Godzilla. Uh, Miyahama's also went in from King Kong vs. Godzilla. Uh, I'm not a big fan of her, but, you know, it, uh, she's in it. <laughs> That's all you can say, right? Donald Pleasance is in it. You know, it's Donald Pleasance. He camps it up. He's a strange man. Uh, he's in stuff like I, the Devil, Call the Sack, From Beyond the Grave, Blended a Minotaur, the Halloween movies, the Franklin Jello Dracula. I mean, I have a whole list of movies he was in that was just crazy. Carpenter's Prince of Darkness, uh, Coetzee's Paganini Horror. Charles uh, Gray. Charles Gray's in it as well. Um you know, from the Beast Must Die, Devil Rides Out, the Legacy. Uh, but this Lots time, see, Charles Gray, at one point, I think maybe the next film, oh, not the next film, two films up, becomes the same role that Donald Pleasance is here, Blofeld. Uh, but right now he's more of a, uh, he's just one of the, the people that deals with MI6 or whatever the hell. Uh, Karen Doerr was in it, and this time I saw her. Remember I told you last time I didn't even know she was in the damn film? Uh, and I was like, wow. My wife's like, who is this woman? She's horrible. <laughs> so we didn't like her in the Edgar Wallace films, and we liked her even less here, uh, especially when he's supposed to be coming on to her like she's so hot. I'm like, really? Are you kidding me? How much did they pay you to say that? Uh, really bad. And I think she changed wigs at one point to try to come on to him. I'm like, oh, God, you got to be kidding me. Uh, but nothing really changed about this film. Uh, Honor Your Majesty's Secret Service, it was even worse than I remembered it. See, I had a, a fond feeling towards <laughs> the whole business with uh, when they went to Switzerland and they had to climb up that mountain and there was the business with, uh, you know, what's his face was in there, um, Kojak, uh, Tony Savalas. And, oh, you know, I, I always get a kick out of him. So I was like, okay, you know, he was fine being in there. And they have all the girls up there. And uh, basically it was around that villa that I had fond feelings. And I really detested the love story, the sad ending, you know, this kind of bogus thing where he gets fixed up with uh, Emma Peel and how badly they used her, uh, you know, coming out of the Avengers. Okay, this is the second time they pulled a, a likable lead out of the Avengers show for no reason whatsoever ever uh, <laughs> and do nothing with her. Uh, I really thought she was not just underutilized, but bad in the film. She was kind of snotty and obnoxious for the first half and then overly compliant and unquestioning in the second half when she gets submissive or whatever. Uh, she doesn't really get that submissive, but you know what I'm saying. It's that usual thing like, oh, yes, yeah, she falls for his masculine charms and now she's a, a tame pussycat and she'll do whatever he says. I'm like, please. Um, it just doesn't fucking work. And the other people that are in it, uh, that woman that's uh, apparently Ilsa Steppet, who's Irma Blunt, she works for Blofeld, Oh, um, you know, there's a lot of people here that are terrible. Uh, this guy, Yuri Borienko, his uh, chief of security or whatever the hell at the villa, yeah, bad stuff. And the women up there, 
okay, yes, you have a couple of people that I usually love, like Anushka Hempel, um, Joanna Lumley's in Joanna there, you know, from AvFab, uh, Catherine Rochelle from uh, Space 1999 and Doctor Who's City of Death, among other things. Um, Jenny Hanley from a couple of Hammer films like Scars of Dracula and Pete Walker's Flesh and Blood shows in there. Julie Eag's in there from stuff like Rented Dick and Craze and, you know, The Mutations. But yet, not that many of them are that memorable. You'll see a couple of cute ones in the room, but it's usually not the ones the camera spends the most time on. And when he goes off to the bedrooms to go and screw a couple of them, it's not the attractive ones he goes for. He goes for like the more obnoxious, blowsy sort of barroom blonde types. I think one of them is supposed to be like a cockney or something. Hey, mate, come on over here. What you doing here? Oh, I got something for you under the sheet. I'm like, oh, my God. What the <laughs> hell am I watching here? Uh, it is what? a bad what? film. But you know what did hold up for me that I didn't remember even? That weird car chase where uh, Diana Riggs driving the car, and they wind up going through all these icy, snowy uh, Swiss back roads, and they wind up on the demolition derby track. and and, It's just like it was so insane that we were both like, wow, this is really crazy, and it looks dangerous. I mean, obviously, it's a film set, but it looks like it would have been a kind of tricky thing to do, at least for the stuntmen. Uh, so that, which I didn't even remember, held up better than anything else in the film, and anything I did like about it just kind of sucked. So it's a bad film overall. And uh, what's his face there, who came in just for one film as Bond, George Lazenby? You know, he, who saw her die? He was believable enough as the degree of father. Uh, Kentucky Fried Movie, Death Dimension, Game of Death, Man from Hong Kong with Jimmy Wang Yu. He didn't really have much of a career after this. He kind of shot himself in the foot. Apparently, he thought he was great and started trumping on all of the news and uh, demanded more money, and he got really obnoxious. And I said, all right, well, screw you. Goodbye. And that was the end of his career. Uh, it was like Marissa Tomei kind of a thing. You know, he shot himself in the foot, but I think he was too great. But, you know, he was a bad Bond. I mean, he wasn't as bad as some of the ones that would come later, but <laughs> he was worse than I remembered him. Because you know, I always had like, well, you know, he was bad, but, you know, that's compared to Connery. So, you know, maybe he wasn't as bad compared to some of the later ones. He's really not good. Uh, it was not a good film in any respect, and then very unbond-like once again. So, what's your take? Well, I disagree entirely. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that's what the show's about, folks. Uh, there you go. Well, uh, yeah, well, the, the 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 choice of Louis Armstrong for the for the music. Oh uh, yeah, we recorded it much better actually. Yeah. I think Iggy, David Arnold did a, a retread of the, the the coolest Bond songs that had cool people do it, and Iggy right. did Louis Armstrong stuff. Iggy Pop, and uh, it was like, wow, this is cool. Um, you know, I like Louis Armstrong. He's a great jazz giant, um, but it, it was a weird choice for this movie. Now, there's a couple of problems. Um, one of them being, I hear an echo. Do you? No. One of them being that I I, I well, well one of the positives I think Lazenby is fine. He gets a lot of shit. I think Lazenby is fine. I think being that Connery was losing his hair for a long time. Yes. And if you had the original laser discs, uh, these are legendary folks. The original laser discs for the Bond when they first came out, very expensive laser discs at the time. They were like a hundred dollars. And the audio commentaries from the, the, the production people, the directors, the producers, you know, they were they were pointing stuff out that we never took notice of. And thank you so much for every time I watch it now. Look. 
Connery was losing his hair, and he knew it, and he was gaining weight, and he was getting a little older, not much, but, um, he didn't want to do it anymore, and he wanted a lot more money, so they said, you know what, let's see what we can do. Now, the the problem I have with the movie is Peter Hunt, who was the second uh, unit guy, the second unit director, and pretty much did all, most of the action stuff, most of the movies, including the weird Goldfinger car chase. You know that's He was really a fan of, uh, what's, what's, what's it called nowadays? There's a term for it, uh, step motion photography or something. Oh, that's oh yeah. Motion. Yeah. And it's it's like... You speed up a few frames, you snap that frame, you speed up a few frames. It was in vogue a couple of years ago. It was used a lot for fight scenes, chase scenes, and then thankfully it's kind of gone away now because people start mm-hmm. to deride it, saying this is really fucking... And they gave Peter Hunt the direction of this movie. Because they figured, okay, he's a good second unit guy, and he's done he's done all our stunt work, and you know we're going to try to revitalize the series with the new guy who was a uh, model, a male model. I think he was fine. I think uh, you know I think Lyson B was fine. I don't think it was as as stiff as people say. He was. They were trying to do things with him. This is his first movie, but I think Peter Hunt was the problem with this picture. I think he was the wrong director. The action scenes are terrible because yep. uh, he was a fan of this this technique of his of his own. Uh, I don't know if he originated it. I can't remember anything before these Bond movies where it was used, and they certainly caught it from him for later movies. Um, it's like turkey jerky. You know the fight on the beach where yeah. he sees Tracy. Uh, Diana Rigg, and she's accosted by these guys, and he goes to save her. And it's like really herky jerky. It's like that's the best way to you know to, to describe it. It's like herky jerky filmic editing. You're missing frames, and it's trying to advance to give you the the emphasis of excitement when it doesn't really exist. Yep. It doesn't work. And, right. Right. And it's only much later in the film when you have the. Uh, is it a toboggan? Is it a toboggan, right? Yeah, it's the a chase. Toboggan. Yeah, when when you get the ice chase in the toboggan, does he not use that? And it's much better. Yep. The the action yep. scenes. Yeah, yeah. You 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 because oh, that's one of the better parts of the film actually. Uh, the toboggan scene because it's like he's not using a step frame. Probably they probably realize using fucking snow, you can't fuck with that. You know, you can't advance <laughs> frames. Because and what have about that? The yeah, arbitrary freaking ending. Because I well, mean, you got to the point where, all right, you, I know you're trying to go for a downer. They didn't want to tie Bond down. All this crap, crap. Are fine. It was probably in the book. I didn't read the book, but it's in the book. You know, here you are. You're driving down a road. For some reason, now they pulled over for some stupid reason. They broke down. These hippies come by, throw a bunch of flowers on the car. So it's like, oh, I'll get out and take them off. And two of the leftover agents that were still alive, the Russians or whatever. Oh, look, there he is. Uh, and start blowing and sh- shooting at the thing. And all of a sudden he turns uh, around. He was, oh, okay. He was, he, he was removing the just married stuff from the car. You know, the stuff yeah. that attached to the car. And then, oh, mysteriously, there she is, dead. And they, they show the cracked windshield as he like, kind of sobs. And then the well, credits roll. Right because they're silent. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the eyes. It just That's felt so arbitrary. It was. Just, it didn't move me. It wasn't like, oh wow, what a tragic ending. I was like, 
That was fucking stupid. What a deus ex machina. I mean, really? <laughs> well, it was not really that, though. It was too long. The movie was too long. You know, yes. You, you didn't want to introduce Lazenby into a bloody epic. You know? uh, but going for it, going for it as far as I'm concerned, was the location is magnificent. I mean, I, I remember uh, yes. one of the, I think the Blu-ray, the DVD also has a lot of cool extras, which of the time were like, this is how we shot this movie on this real freaking mountaintop. Um, so the location is great. Uh, the snow stuff is cool. Uh, even Christopher Nolan, uh, who I like, uh, uh, took some took the inspiration from this uh, parts of Inception. You've seen Inception, right? And oh yeah, you really should see that. And and he took parts of Honor, Majesty, Secret Service as an influence on a recreation. Uh, and he for Inception, there's this like scene that's like taken right from Honor, Majesty, Secret Service. Really well done without the step printing process. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's it's really cool. Yeah, I agree. That all British actresses from that time period and wasted or not, well, they you know they were all in Carry On movies and and you know uh, slap and tickle as you call them from that time period. Yep. So what really could you do with them? But let's pick the most attractive and talented ones, and even if we're not using them to their advantage. Now, in my opinion. Really misuse of Diana Rigg. Diana Rigg yes. was. I mean, I know you're a huge Kathy Gale fan. This goes without saying. Yeah, but there's no but, doubting that everybody thinks Emma Peel, and for years I did too, and certainly she was the yeah. sexiest one. You know, there's no question about that. Sexiest, top, you know, et cetera. And so th- we all thought, oh, that's why they picked her for this movie. We're, you know, we're going to see Emma Peel right. kick ass. We're going to see Diana Rigg kick ass and be bonds. Well, it's the same thing that happened with Michelle Yeoh, but although Michelle actually got the kick ass, although a little she bit. did a little bit, yeah, yeah. a little bit. Um, but it was like, oh, really? This is what they're they're making her an Italian countess? Why? Like she <laughs> a British, a British, whatever. You know, it's like okay, and she has and she's straining for an Italian accent too. It's like oh, okay. yep. One of the bright bright parts of this was. The man that you could always laugh about until you actually see the movie, which is Telly Savalas. Uh, I think he's fine. You know, he's, he shouldn't work, but he actually works in his own weird kind of alternate universe. Place. That's weird. Because I love Telly. I like him in all sorts of stuff. I see him in, like, Italian war films, and I see him in Baba mm-hmm. films, and I see him in Kojak, and whatever the hell. And I always enjoy him. He's always himself, but he's still fine. You don't like him in that uh, well, I wouldn't say that, but even when he was doing the Cossack, which is really over the top in Horror Express, I bought him more than here. Here he was kind of, I don't know, it, it really felt more like the accusation everybody was brings, which is, oh yeah, he's just Kojak in a different set. He felt like Kojak oh. as the, the supposed uh-huh. baddie. I wasn't really like that intimidated by him. You know, you put yourself in that role. I'm like, well, you know, that's well, a place of all, just kind of screwing off. One of the I think one of the mistakes they made is carrying over from the from the previous Bond pictures where they introduced the character Blofeld. Right. They didn't give him any of those those how do you say those traits. You know? Right. 
whether whether it's a scar or whether it's a cat or any fucking thing like that. And, yeah, it kept changing every time. Uh, really, and he was totally changed by this picture, and it was like, um, oh, he's just like this horny, happy-go-lucky megalomaniac. <laughs> exactly. <now>. Yes. <laughs> But, you know, you came out of the movie, like, everybody wanted to be telly. You got, like, 34 beautiful, lusty girls there, you know. Like, wow, yep. Okay. Yep. I that, still love those balls. I'm not knocking them. It's just, you know. <laughs> well, wasn't that the idea of the movie? It was going to destroy everything but have all these hot chicks. Yeah. So. <laughs> you know, and the bottom line is, like I said, I still like telly, period. And he wasn't horrible in this. It's just... It didn't work. It didn't feel like he should have been there. He doesn't feel like a Blofeld, as much different as the Charles Gray Blofeld is from the twitchy Donald Pleasance Blofeld. It's different from you know every other Blofeld down the line. Uh, nonetheless, he felt like an anomaly. Like, okay, it's the voice of all of us here. It's not Blofeld. But non- non- nonetheless, in my opinion, it's a much better picture than the next one. Well, the next one is dicey. Diamonds are forever. I used to like this one. I think I defended it last time around. You did, you did. Yes. It's got elements that work, for sure, but they're kind of later into the film. Uh, Jill St. John is out of place. There's no question about that. Uh, Charles Gray, okay, fine, but that whole business with the Southern accent thing in the beginning with uh, Jimmy Dean there, because who's who he's supposed to be. Uh, I don't know. There's a, yeah. Okay. There's a little bit of Las Vegas travel log, but I've seen it done better in like, you know, Ray Dennis Steckler films and, and some pornos you know, from vinegar syndrome uh, than I have, you know, here. Um, the two gay henchmen just seems kind of silly nowadays. You know, at the time I was like, wow, this is really weird. Mr. Quint, uh, yeah, Mr. Kid, is that it? Mr. Quint, yeah. Mr. Kid, Bruce Glover, and this other fellow, Potter Smith. Uh, and I remember last time you were like, kind of, were they really gay? They were super gay. My wife was like, oh my God, you might pick this up. Uh, but <laughs> there's so much innuendo going on there. But, you know, it was at the time I was like, wow, this is a really strange twist. Now it's like, eh, I don't know. I mean, it was funny. It's certainly bondy and it's kitschy, just like, you know, in the sense that odd job is, but I don't know. Uh, it didn't work as well this time around. Uh, Lana Wood was always a joke to me. Uh, she, her big claim to fame was being in the Red Brown Captain America movies. That's just something right there. Um, who else was in this? Thing? Oh, Sid Haig. Sid Haig overacting more than he usually does here. He's, he's always an overacting hammy Corman regular, but he was there as the uh, – remember they had that Slumber Incorporated thing where they uh, would take the people and they would burn the coffins that were times be full of diamonds. Yeah. It was like a crematory or whatever. Oh my god, he's just horrible. Anything he shows up in, it's like, oh god, it's fucking Sid Haig again. <laughs> I know he's got a cult over around Lana Wood. You brushed over Lana Wood there. Lana Wood had a, she had a very protrudinous part. <laughs> well, yeah, that's exactly it. That's why she was there. Cubby Broccoli has a thing for breasts, and I'm assuming it's him. Uh, it could be the other fellow. It could be Salsman. Uh, you know, and... What was the character? Plenty of tool. He goes, oh, Plenty they get your father. Yes. <laughs> Uh, you know the one-liners in this thing, and she's still living off this movie like forty years later. Oh, a lot of these women are. Uh, these movies, at least with the Connery ones, the one-liners, he still pulls them off. They still fit during the time period. Uh, they feel kind of kitschy and like something that your father was into, uh, like the like the dirty comic books that you would find in the bathroom, you know, like jokes from the John or whatever the hell, or you know Playboy magazine cartoons or whatever. That's the kind of humor they've got. Where it stops working is right now because 
uh, the next film up was Live and Let Die. Now, I was wait, I grew wait, wait, up with the Morphins. One of the problems with Diamonds Are Forever for me is that they talked him into coming back, Connery. And they said, we're going to. Yes. He got the biggest payday oh, up until huge. at that time. A huge payday. I think it was over $1 million. I think it was $1 million too. Well, I think the idea so was that he, he didn't see? want to come back. So he's just like, he gave him a crazy price. And they said, yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, they said, yeah, sure. And, and, and you know, the. You mentioned something about Lazenby earlier, but you know, I think I think it was more than that. I think I think the whole gamble of Honor Majesty's Secret Service was just like this whole killing time thing to see if Lazenby would come back. You know, uh, right. Sorry, Connery would come back. Connery, yeah. And and they did, and they offered him a crazy amount of money, and he came back. Now here's the thing, because he's a weird guy. He decides, well, you know, I did these really odd movies, uh, The Offense, and I did uh, The Hill, mm-hmm. and I did The Molly Maguires, which are three terrific movies. I like and, The Offense a lot. Yeah. yeah. And and they show really interesting facets of, of him as an actor. Like, who knew? You know what I'm saying? But he decided... Like I put some weight on, and I'm not going to lose it. <laughs> yes, yes. And he and looks like a middle-aged man. Somewhere right. along the way, and somewhere along the way, for a role, uh, probably for the offense, I think, because to make him appear a little older to to match Ian Bannon, uh, they shaved his head, so he had yep. this like his hair suddenly became this weird widow's peak kind of thing. Yep. So none of that changed. So he came back as Bond. I was like, who is this guy? <laughs> yeah. Yep. Like, the oh, sex yeah. symbol is now a middle-aged paunchy guy. <laughs> a middle-aged paunchy guy. And it took like it took like twenty minutes into the movie where you kind of relaxed and said, "Okay," because he he came back and right away he impersonated a, a Dutch diamond thief named Peter Franks. Yes. Um. Was like, okay, we're going along with this. And then Jill St. John pops up, and she becomes the. Uh, the main, she became the main, I don't know, what do we call it? Not a female, but the main female character to, for him to bounce. Jill St. John was Jill St. John. Uh, I don't know, was she in the Bad Hill movie? No, but she could have been. But <laughs> If she was, it was uh, the last one. There was it the silences or But you're right, she could have been if she wasn't there. She could have been. Yeah, yeah. and... Uh, Actually, I think some of those Mahelm actresses were a lot better than Josie John, like Dahlia Lavi and people like that. <laughs> yep. Berger, yep. Uh, who we addressed in other shows about other movies. Uh, yeah, she's not the best, not the most talented actress. She, had, she was platitudinous. Yeah, she um, was a pretty redhead with big knockers and a decent body. Her, her personality was a little too uh, bitchy girl next door, I guess. You know, the, the sassy yeah. girl or whatever. Very American, very, you know, it, she was the first one that felt like when you started getting to like Holly Goodnight, you know, that kind of like the dumb bimbo Bond girl as opposed to the Bond girl that you could actually, if not hold her own, that you believed her. She seemed more serious. You know, this is more like the but, goofy type. Well, that's that the thing, though. There's a, lot of that, there's a lot of that in this movie. You know, he's in the casino. He's in the Vegas. plenty of tool, which is a lot of wood. And apparently they've got a chunk of her, her part, which they put... Back into the movie and went on the Blu-ray, I think. 
and uh, it, it's the same kind of character, you know. It's but then yeah, he's riding around in the moon buggy and the and yes, they're on the oil rig, which is like really cheesy looking. Just looking oil rigs, it's a cheesy looking oil rig. Yeah, I don't know. Um, Charles Gray's Blofeld, I think he was fine. Yeah, no, he was good. Um, that wasn't a problem. It's just that weird southern accent he kept putting on, and I don't know, it just didn't work. Until he dropped it. Yeah, yeah. 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 I, I I don't know. I, it's a problem movie. It's it's one of the ones I dislike. I still do. You know, It's fun. A few people, hey, what's your favorite bomb movie? Diamond. <laughs> I, I still I like it more than you, but yeah, I mean it's really kind of questionable. Uh, there was okay, a reason next. that it was the last time Connery did one for a long time. So uh, yeah. now we go to the the Saint, uh, and also from the Persuaders and shut down the Persuaders. Uh, Roger Moore, and so okay, we'll put you in this black exploitation. That's hot, right? So we'll put you in this film. All right, except that it didn't really play like a black exploitation film. Uh, it came off a lot more. I hate to use the word racist. I don't want to pull the correct assholes, but it felt very stereotypical, even for black exploitation. It was like, I don't know. I mean, I often can. I'll throw it in with the black exploitation genre, but you can tell it's very, very white. It's like the whitest of the white takes on black exploitation, despite the fact there's a lot of black actors in it. You know, you got Julius Harris in this. Uh, you got Yafik Kodo. Uh, you know, these people were in movies like, you know, uh, Truck Turner, Friday Foster, Drum, Monkey Hustle, Bone, uh, you know, What the Hell, The Black Caesar. I mean, you know, and Hell Up in Harlem, stuff like that. David Hedison's there as Felix Leiter. He's still my favorite Felix, I'll say that. Uh, and he showed up in a couple of them. Uh, Gloria Henry was in this. Okay, well, you know, I love Black Belt Jones, sure. Hell up in Harlem, Slaughter's Big Ripoff, Black Caesar, Cross the Heart and 10th Street. You know, she was in a lot of these damn things. And yet, where is she doing in here? She is, yet again, playing the Jill St. John, or what's going to come, as, like I said, the Hollywood Night character. This kind of dumb, bubble-headed bimbo. Instead of being this, you know, empowered black woman, you know, black exploitation star kicking ass that she wouldn't, you know, even in Black Bill Jones, which was kind of comedy in the first place. Here she is, and she's just, I don't know, hopeless. She's traitorous. Uh, and even though she's got a sympathetic spot that he feels for her and everything else, you know, she ends up getting shot down pretty quick. And it's like, that was really an embarrassing role for her. Uh, it was worse than, you know, previously at a Bammy and Thumper in the last movie. Okay, that was one thing. This was just, I don't know. It, nobody plays out. Nobody looks good in this film. Uh, the best you get is Jane Seymour, a very young Jane Seymour, well before the whole Dr. Quinn shit uh, when she was still attractive. But she's still kind of stiff. Uh, as the tarot reading, whatever, and you know, of course, when Bond fucks her, she loses her powers. Uh, Madeline Smith, well, yeah, who I remember liking. Now think her. about that, though. Did you? I, I thought about this when I first saw it. So she's like a virtual sex slave, right? And she can only fuck Mister Big, which is Sapphire Cardo. She has this ability to, you know, predict things to her right. tarot readings, and that's a bit problematic. And I, I like how they sort of got a, got around that in the writing, but then. And then, yeah, you're right. Bond fucks and also something. There is, if the movie has one good scene, that's one of them. Where she, yep. It's like, okay, do the cards. And she's trying to trick him like she still has the ability. And yep. he knows she lost it. I mean, that's a good scene. 
But, well, that's uh, why he flips out on her because he was holding off on fucking her supposedly. That's their big, you know, get out clause. Oh, you for playing down south. Right. Well, you know, that was yeah. for playing down south because they couldn't have a black man screwing the girl, especially since, she, like you said, she was basically a sex slave. Uh, so that okay, that was the get out clause. Okay, that's why she still got her powers. Now when Bond does, that's the end of it. Uh, but you know, still it plays into the old stereotypes, and in a lot of respects, you know, the the misogynist stereotypes, the the racist stereotypes, whatever. Again, I'm not like oh, yeah. this. I don't it's, tend to think in these terms. But a movie like this, where it's that in your face, you can't really not address it. It still shows up and leaves a a weird taste in your mouth, and it kind of crinkles your nose a bit. And you see it going on, you either got to say, yeah, that was great, huh, 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 or you're like, eh, I don't know if it plays as well. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is sure J.W. Pepper in this one? Yes. Right. Uh, I believe he is, yeah. Um, no, wait, when, 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 Golden, when he shows up? No, it's, yeah, it's he comes Golden back Golden. on that one. Yeah, well, he's I in think two he of them, but... I think it's this one. this one? Okay, all right. Yeah, yeah, because during the boat chase, and he shows, God damn, boy. Right. Yeah. He's the, the uh, <laughs> yeah. Sound like him, right? He's, he did yeah. too. <laughs> yeah, he did that. He, he's like the. You're right. It is him. Like, there he is. Yeah, we're gonna get this yeah. boy. Come on, on here. Yeah, yeah. God damn, boy, what sheriff. are you doing back here? Spitting out yep. some white crack fucking guy. He's like, what are you doing down here, boy? What's great about him is I always said he was like a ripoff of Smokey and the Bandit, but Smokey and the Bandit was like two or three years later. So I don't know where the hell they got him from. So maybe Smokey and the Bandit came from this. (laughs) Everybody hates J.W. Pepper. I was amused by it. Even my wife hates him. I was like, hey, you know, whatever. It's just kind of comic relief. I don't find him ferociously racist. No, no, he's just kind of dumb racist. He's like the Archie Bunker of your family. Like, okay, you know that your grandfather or your uncle is like some dumb hick racist type, but it doesn't really bother you. I'm like, ah, whatever, he's an idiot. You know, whatever time he gets drunk, he mouths off a little bit. I don't think he means well, you know, bad to anybody. He's just, you know, a fool. And that's kind of where this guy is. He's like that kind of a character. Some people might get really tight about it. You know, I was just like, ah, whatever. Although I prefer it to the next picture. Yeah. Oh, and I should also mention Madeline Smith was in it, who I used to like, and I was like, you know, yeah. she's a lot stranger than I remembered here. <laughs> so, uh, again, who knows? Maybe this time, Man with a Golden Gun was bad. There's no two ways around it. Um, there's actually a character in it called High Fat. I'm not kidding. Uh, <laughs> so uh, <laughs> they go out to Hong Kong, wherever the hell, and... Uh, Basically, uh, Christopher Lee is in this, and he is supposed to be the world's greatest assassin because there were one shot, and that's why he's the Scaramanga. man with a gun. You know? Yeah, I don't know. He, he's all right. My wife hates Christopher Lee. I had no problem with him here. But you know the whole conceit of him having the extra nipple and uh, this weird relationship he has with um, the midget there, Irving Vilches from uh, That's how he got that job for Francis Island, was from this movie. Uh, going around and playing. Anybody who's a comic reader probably remembers Arcade uh, from the old uh, Spider-Man and X-Men comics. He's this little kind of like dorky guy that's about three foot five, and he has this whole like you know area of like weird games and stuff that he plays to try to kill people. Same thing. That's what Irve is doing. He's got this whole thing set up on the island where he basically tries to kill Scaramanga. And also, the, anybody that he hunts has to go through it, like a most dangerous game thing. And it's like, who's going to die first? Usually it's the, the victim, obviously. But uh, that's the whole thing. It's like, okay, I'm going to get one over you. I want, one of these days I'll get you, and then I'll give your island and all your money. Like, 
what a strange – is this kind of like a – I wasn't sure it was supposed to be a homoerotic relationship, or why is he put up with this midget, and why is this midget on this island with him, like, you know, sort of half serving his servant and half trying to kill him to get his money? It made no sense to me, uh, just on a on a plot level. I was like, what the fuck? Um, well, well, it's interesting, but it's weird. Scaramanga has an island, right? It's a rather long yes. one, actually. He's got, yes. he's got a couple of uh, small planes. Uh, and he yep. has this nu- nuclear-powered station, uh, sorry, solar-powered station. Powerful stuff going on there. And the only guys on the island, besides Scaramanga, are her villages and the one black dude. Right. <laughs> Who yep. twiddles the knobs. You know, that's yep. what he does. He's like, well, I twiddle the knobs. And I was like, like wait a minute. Job. <laughs> well, that's the thing, though. I mean, come on. You've seen other Bond movies up to this point. There's an army of yep. people working. Like, you only live twice. One of the better, one of the best movies. They, yep. you know, it's cutaway shots. You see 20, 30 people in the room. That's what the, the extras are doing. They're twilling knobs, you know. That gives yep. you the impression that this is a vast place. It costs money to build. I thought that from day one of seeing this movie. Like, wait a minute. Who's running this? Yep. Who's keeping this operational? And Maud Adams is in this, once again, serving as more or less the sex slave to Scaramanga. Uh, even though she's likable, probably more so than she's an octopusy here, it's still like, wow, what a weird role. And then you got J.W. Pepper, who I think does himself one up over the last movie, because this time, instead of being Smokey and the Bandit, now he's on vacation and he's just making an ass out of himself, making like racist yeah, it's comments. It's the same people character, like, but he yeah. just turns up later. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and it gets more silly, especially when they go in the car chase because he's trying to catch up to Scaramanga, and they get they end up getting the plane in the warehouse and take off. You know, I enjoyed that a lot more than I did the previous movie. But you know, the movie as a whole is really big. And uh, yeah, you know, like you, I you know, you go ahead. You know, you have a, a trouble when. A lot, of, a lot of time is spent on one small car stop. You remember this? Yep. It's the car, the car stop where the car, they're in Thailand, I think, and the car jumps over a very big inlet, and it lands properly, but it yep. does like two somersaults in the air. Yep, sideways somersaults. Yeah, yeah, and it was like at the time it was like a huge deal, and it was like. Yeah. <laughs> well, it didn't feel Bond. It felt more like I don't know what bullet. You know. <laughs> uh, yeah, it felt like again, bullet. It felt like Hal. Yeah, it felt like Hal Needham. And that's the problem with the movie. It's like I don't know, Maud Adams, uh, Britt Eklund. You know, it's just at this point the casting is off, and 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 yeah. And Britt Eklund, also, remember, she was like a Rod Stewart squeeze at the time. So she was actually did the French voice on Tonight's Tonight. Yeah, she yep. Yeah. Uh, she was in The Wicker Man, did the famous Naked Dance there. You know, How Do, the song that the Sneaker Pimps later covered. Uh, she was in Machine Gun McCain, Asylum. But she's doing this dumb blonde role that's just. Oh, yeah, but there she's good. Here she's horrible. I was like, wow. She's you, horrible. You want to yeah, smack her. She's actually good. Yeah. Like, Machine Gun McCain, she's actually pretty good in that. No, so mm-hmm. you know, I mean, debatable talents overall, but there were some movies she was actually pretty good in. So that brings us, it brings me to something I wanted to mention here. This is the beginning of 
actually began with Live and Let Die, where they started right. making a picture a year, pretty much. You yep. know? And, and and it's like uh, interesting. You know, seventy three was Live and Let Die. Seventy four is Man with the Golden Gun. The next one was seventy six. It took a year to make it, but you know, it's interesting. Now they started like making them more often. Yeah, but they weren't good. That's the problem. What I noticed about the Moors is that previously I defended them a lot, and I grew up on them, and I saw several of them in the theater as a kid. Yeah, yeah. Uh, my folks took me to see them because my father loved Bond. And, yeah. you know, rewatching them, my wife said this too, so this says a lot because she's usually more calm about her assessments of things. She's like, wow, Roger Moore doesn't fucking work in these films. <laughs> I mean, not using those words, but, you know, it's just – it just doesn't work. The Bond era, the Roger Moore era, is bad. I mean, okay, there are worse things to come in some respects. There's better things. There's worse things. But holy crap. I mean, it compared to what was going on previously with Connery, I was like, what happened to the series? It got silly. And part of it was bringing in the music. You know, we mentioned how the music suddenly changed and became more like pop music of five years ago as opposed to today. As opposed to you know the more schmaltzy you know urbane uh, lounge lizard you know suburban that kind of stuff that we early with Connery, all of a sudden now it's this bad like hits of the day kind of thing, and it that's the way it feels. It feels like the series got in order to extend it and make it feel contemporary, they dumbed it down. I mean it was always kind of a campy series. It was never like high art, but it feels like the series kind of drops in quality a lot. I mean, yes, I still love Roger Moore, but the quips get tackier and cheesier. The sex jokes get more obvious. The women get more, like I mentioned, more like Holly Goodland, more dumb and submissive and in the way and stupid. You know, you get them out of your face. So, you know, it's very misogynistic. Um, you well, know, you everything know, what, becomes what, more. Go ahead. One thing I wanted to bring up, though, to, which is, we don't trust, is that. Um, is that they were using the same bloody directors they were using when they started the series. You know, which is, you know, Guy <laughs> Hamilton and, and so-and-so yep. and so-and-so who made their first two or three pictures. Here it is, 10 years later, 12 years later, they're, they're trying to reboot the series with Roger Moore again, and here they are using the same directors that they used in the first two or three pictures. And I think that that was one of their problems because these guys are older. Uh, they've done some some good movies outside of the Bond canon. That's not all, all they did, but I think at the same time, they they didn't bring anybody young in, any fresh directors, and 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 I think that was part of the problem. That's why I believe that's why these movies look the way they do, formulaic. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yep. Also, and you know, Ian, yeah. and Eon and the and the you know the Broccoli and Saltzman conglomerate were like the iron fist of fucking Germany when it came to making. And they probably still are <laughs> when it came to making these movies. You do not deviate from this. You know what I'm saying? Right. Keep that and, formula uh, exactly the way it is. Don't screw with it. Keep that formula. And it wasn't like so Disney. God, of all unusual people, Martin Campbell came along. That, that they were able to like get around that a little bit, you know, and uh, thank God he did it twice. Yeah. So uh, next up, we got the Spy Who Loved Me, which which is again, fun. Just, 
Yeah, but it still doesn't work. I mean, it's not as bad as the last movie, no question. It's definitely a lot better. It's a little better. Barbara Bach is better. more capable. You know, she's not as bad as, you know, Britt Eklund. Um, and, you know, she was in a lot of stuff anyway, a lot of Italian horror, you know, Sergio Martino's Screamers, Big Alligator River, uh, Caveman with Ringo Starr who became her husband, The Unseen, Black Bill of the Tarantula, Short Land Glass Dolls, Street Law for Castellari. I mean, this woman was around the block in terms of acting. And so she pulls some of it off. But does she really come off as a Russian agent? And once again, you know, once Bond tames her, all of a sudden she becomes submissive and sort of, you know, takes a back seat and becomes more useless. Um, Kurt Jurgens is in this thing of all people, from and God created a woman and uh, Mephisto Waltz. He's the big baddie now. He's not, he's not uh, like Blofeld, but still. But yet, you know, does the film really work? One of the things I think is a big misstep actually is they brought in Richard Keel. Now, nothing against Roger, Richard Keel, but the Jaws character, you know, he's like basically just a thug. It's just too, it feels like they're playing to the kids. You know, they're really mm-hmm. kind of dumbing it down to the wrestling level, you know, and that's kind of where we're going here. Uh, Carol Munro's in it for a bit. Uh, she's in a lot of stuff. I really like her. Uh, one film I really wish that somebody would freaking release out there if I was listening is uh, Kotsi's Black Cat, you know, uh, Demon Six, Paper Fundus. Uh, but I got a lot yeah. of her stuff. You know, Franco's Faceless, Slaughter High, Golden Voyage of Sinbad, Don't Put the Christmas Man. I have so many versions Star Crash, Captain Kronos. Really, you do? I got to see if you got some. Check it out off you. Because uh, I saw it on, like, Netflix or something. Wow, this is great. How come nobody's putting this on disc? Uh, but, you know, does she make a huge impact here? Not really. She's kind of in it for a no. bit. Uh, you know, who else is here? That's really it. Um it just it's better than the last probably two, but is mm. it a good film? Eh, not really. Um Debatable. Is there anything yeah. you want to say about this one before I get to the next one? Well I think the locations are good and uh Egypt yeah. I think it was. And uh yes. uh Yeah, Richard Keel is a problem and uh well, you know, it's not a problem per se, but the character, you know, as, as exactly right. As, not him. It's it's the Jaws character. Yeah, I think I think in this picture he does better than it. Okay with that, show, so. and, and yeah, yeah, better than the Moonraker, and um, it's actually I think I think it wears a little better over time. Yeah, better than the previous two. Yeah. But now we come to Moonraker. I know you hate this one. I always liked it. It was one of the ones I saw in the theater. I liked it even more this time around because in the middle of the Roger Moore series, in the middle of the Roger Moore series, it's like the Oasis. It's the only one that, other than the Richard Keel part, where he's got like the the blonde girl with the pigtails that he falls in love with and they save the day at the end, which is just freaking tacky. I don't know what the hell that was. Disco era nonsense. Uh... You know, the film actually works really well. I mean, I was surprised. The The main baddie's kind of questionable, that Michael Lonsdale guy. You know, some little guy with a big head. He's not really scary at all. He's just kind of goofy. Uh, he almost looks like a midget uh, in the, the way his, like, head structure and everything. But, well, you, you know, know he was most child. Because, because he? He, he was in um, Day of the Jackal. Oh, that's why. Okay. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> and then, like, the terrorist part? movie comes to this. No, no, he, uh, he was in a very important part in Day of the Jackal, the original uh, one with Everett Fox. I think it was Everett Fox. Okay. And, and he was, uh, he had some parts of, of renown in French films where he played a 
policeman. So Lois Charles is a problem here because she's not very not very memorable. I mean, she's kind of like if you ever saw the Spider-Man series with Nicholas Hammond when they brought Ellen mm-hmm. Fry in, and it just like and the same thing happened with Banachek, Actually, those who know that series when they brought Ellen Fry in once again, and she was just supposed to be this sassy, you know, proto-feminist type. Uh, that could do it just as good as the guys or whatever. It's supposed to also be a love interest, and you really just can't stand her because she's so strident and obnoxious. That's kind of where she's not as bad. But that's kind of where Lois Charles is here. So the I, Bond I met girl Lois here. Charles one time. I met Lois Did Charles you? one time because I, I had a I had a friend that said, "Oh, I'm going to dinner uh, with a friend. Do you want to come along?" I'm like, "No, not really." What's your friend? Lois Charles, you know from the Bond movie. I said that Lois Charles, yeah, I'm coming. And 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 she was like the most obnoxious. Yeah. Um because it was a couple of years later and she had done other work, but like for some and I could not put my finger on why she didn't any roles. You know, when you get when you get a bond movie, you're gonna get even even if it's like a couple of low budget pictures, you're gonna get some things notable. You know, some work. And Lois Charles seemed to went right back to like I don't know the soaps or something. I was like really yes. weird. I, I'm not sure what happened there. She wasn't likable at all. For me, the Bond girl in here wasn't in very long, and it's actually Corinne Clary who I love from a lot of uh, yes. Euro horror, Euro crime films. But she's not in it very long because you know she betrays Drax and gets off pretty early in the film. Nonetheless, uh, most of the locations work. Okay, yeah, the space angle was kind of timely after Star Wars and all that kind of stuff, Close Encounters, whatever. Some of it's a little cheesy, but compared to the other more films, it's a lot more quiet and sedate, believe it or not. And it just feels more realistic, you know, if you want to put it that way. He feels more like, oh, look, here's a spy putting his life in danger to save the world as opposed to the usual like over-the-top camp. Uh, that may be why it doesn't work for a lot of people. I don't know. Uh, maybe the other parts of it that are problems for me even really kind of put everybody's nose out of joint. But I always liked this film, and I found that I liked it even more now that it, films that I used to like of more don't work for me anymore. So uh, anything you want to say about this one? Before I... Yeah, we'll go on to the next okay. So uh, for your eyes only, this is the next one. We're getting close to the end of uh, more. And... Again, a questionable film. Why the hell would you pick Carol Bouquet? This is the girl that came out of the, the last film she had done before this, I believe, was Louis Bunuel's That Obscure Object of Desire. So she's an art house girl. Uh, she's mm. not that attractive to me. Uh, just kind of like straight long hair pulled back and big bushy eyebrows. And there's really nothing about her that says, ooh, sex symbol. It's like, eh, I don't know. She's all right. Nothing wrong with her. It's just like, eh. Uh, and she's supposed to be like this Greek revolutionary type. There's a lot of Greek revolutionaries in this, which is kind of funny. Uh, it, Topol's in there as one of them, which is even funnier. Um, Lynn Holly Johnson, the incredibly annoying girl from Ice Castles and Watcher in the Woods, is in there as an ice skater who's like a slut and tries to come on to Bond, even though she's like 16. Was, was Bond, she a, a, an Olympic champion? I think she was. Yeah. Was she really? She might have been. Uh, but I'll tell you. Because uh, she can definitely skate. But uh, more at this point, both of us are like, wow, what the fuck happened to him? He really aged. So all of a sudden, between Moonraker and here, he looks like he aged 20 years. So when she's coming on to him, she's like, it looks like she's 16. It looks like she's coming on to like her grandpa. Like, this guy's like 57 years old. Like, Holy shit. What the hell's the deal there? 
I don't know what happened. Maybe he spent too much time in the sun. Maybe he got sick. Maybe he was drinking too much. No, I think it's about right, though, because I said it a few minutes ago that they were making one about every year. And this one, they actually took some time off for some whatever reason it was. Because uh, what was the last one we just discussed? Why you looking, 79, right? I thought. Moonraker. Oh, 76. 77. Well, Moonraker Spy 79. Me, no, Spy Love Me 77. Yes. And Moonraker 79. And this is 81. This is 81. So it's only two years later. But, but yet why? something happened. Yeah, yeah. But she just didn't trust in his book at all. I read his autobiography. Yeah, he oh, does yeah. look, he looks thinner and he does look older. And just as an interesting side note, uh, apparently while they were filming this damn thing, one of the people that's in the cast, uh, the mistress of uh, the, the baddie, uh, Cassandra Harris, was actually the wife of Pierce Brosnan. So that's actually where they met him and got the idea eventually to cast him, which kind of got held off, but nonetheless. Uh, and also, for those who listen to And I Love on Mondays, Damn Squiggly's favorite actor, Charles Dance, was on this as uh, a guy named Kloss. Uh, so, it, also, there's a prison playing Margaret Thatcher in here, which was kind of hilarious in the closing scene. It's not a good film. I liked some of the skiing stuff, but it's once again, it's very obvious that it's not Roger Moore doing it. You get those rear projections. You see the body doubles. It's I don't know. It just looks very fake, especially during like the avalanche sequence, things like that. There are parts of it that sort of work, but most of it does not. It's really I remember it being a better film than it was. Let's put it that way. Uh, the best thing about it is really the theme song. <laughs> uh, so what's your take on this one? Well, this one of them, they started to try to market on, you know, more back to the book kind of thing. It's when they first started doing that. And they kind of pulled back from being big, you know, after Moonraker where they went to outer space and, like, blew shit up. They definitely were trying to do something different. Um, yeah, I a better word, they were trying to go more introspective, but it just didn't really work because you, you're still talking about the bomb and working in this this world, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, it's it's already been set up for the past uh, for the past twenty years, so you know it. Uh, <laughs> go with it. Uh, um, it's an interesting movie because they trying by trying to scale it down, they end up with a with a villain who's not entirely believable or. Likeable, and you know, the movies is even the villains that you dislike so much. There's a likability factor, you know. Right. Except for Mads Mikkelsen, who who we think is a complete insane bastard, but that's another story. <laughs> um, um, uh, yeah, it's a very it, it's a movie that doesn't work. But unfortunately, what was after? Octopussy. Beautiful kill, right? Uh, no, Octopussy was next. <laughs> oh, and that one See, is... I put that one out of my bad. mind. I noticed. <laughs> it is bad. The only thing I liked about it at all was the Indian settings. Uh, there are some beautiful, not just the, the nonsense where they're going through the streets and doing the, the little chase and the jitneys or whatever, but 
where she's on the estate and uh, they, they got the water around it. Gorgeous, gorgeous settings, gorgeous sets. Um, but, you know, you've got the circus bits. You've got Louis Jordan really kind of slumming it here. Uh, Maud Adams gets to camp it up this time. So now she's not a sex slave. Now she's the, the power of the, the piece. Okay, fine. Except that she's not playing it straight. She, she takes the opportunity and just kind of camps it up like she's Susan Lucci on a fucking soap opera. Um, you know, it, it doesn't really Louis work. Has, has the, the weirdest line in the ball upon I'm like, I left my head off. Yeah, and, and, and the movie's about the movie's about these valuable Fabergé eggs, right? You know, the jeweled, uh, jeweled encrusted, you know, uh, you know, and and the nut eggs. But it's like this is what they came up with. And the weird thing was like Roger Moore was a spy. Company, so uh, yep. this was like weird looking, incestuous thing going on. And except for Maud Adams, the girls in it, especially like this one that's supposed to be his, like whatever, that, that turns on her and becomes Bond's partner, uh, Christina Wayborn, are fucking ugly. I'm sorry. They, every time they showed a pretty girl, it was usually some random like Indian girl or something they like flashed on for a second, or you know, an Asian girl or whatever. Well, and they Wayborn never used them. Was she really? <laughs> I think so. Uh, I think she was ugly. Uh, and she's a really transgender uh, actress person. I I would believe that. To be honest with you, I mean it's, it's far fetched, but who knows? Because uh, she was ugly. And there's a lot of them like that. Every time they would show somebody pretty, it would be just somebody they caught on camera for a second, or maybe like an extra that you know, maybe they screwed them in the back or something. Here, you'd be on screen for a minute. Uh, but they never did anything. Anybody that actually did anything in the movie, except for what Adams was ugly. Uh, and VJ Armitage was like the comic relief, but he wasn't funny. I'm like, wow, this is just it's a bad movie. Uh, and actually, that was the last one we saw in the movies for a little bit because it was just like last movie sucked and we stopped going to Bond films for a while uh, with the family uh, the next one which we never got to address before is Never Say Never Again now my question mm. to you is considering that we had such a strange thing because of a bad start thing else did you want to cut it off and do a pickup show at some point that we can you know just air as an extra show sometime or uh, do we keep going to the end of more and cut it off there because, you know, how do you want to do this because it's 920 really <laughs> yeah, exactly right. Yeah, uh, yeah, because we started. Well, you know, there was this technical problems um, that started like fifteen, twenty minutes late, and then we got this, and you know. twenty minutes late. Yep. Um, I don't know. Do you want? Yeah, maybe we should split this up because we had technical difficulties. Yeah. Um, because now we have to I don't, go through the broad, I, I really want to go through Never Say Never. Exactly. Because last time we really? didn't really get to address Never Say Never again. At all. Brosnan, I'd like and, to readdress. And there's a whole bunch of and, movies that I hadn't even seen with late Brosnan and then going into Craig that I definitely wanted yeah. to focus on. That was the impetus for the show. So, yes, so, we recovered and addressed some of the changes, the old stuff, but, you know. Um, just, I don't know how you want to do it. it on to, I would like. Tail end of, or, or I don't know. I think it might be too much for people to do it next nah, week. Nah. You know what I'm saying? We should do it. But, uh, uh, the question is, 
Do we just record it offline and throw it up at some point, like as a as a B bonus show? Do we actually put it into the schedule somewhere? You know, what do you, what do you feel like? That's a good question there. Because me personally, uh, I'm thinking we could do like we do a Franco record it on another day. I won't append it to this one. We'll just have it as like you know part two or something. I'll just throw no, it up on the schedule but, somewhere. But, would that be torture for somebody to listen? Hey, listen to four hours of pub pop movies. <laughs> <laughs> They're gonna do it one way or the other, man. <laughs> we gotta get through this show. Uh, okay, <laughs> we, we how about we, we, we are promising our loyal listeners that we will finish this one and yes. uh we will let you we will let you know within the next few days how we're gonna do this. Whether yes. it's gonna mysteriously appear as a big big show <laughs> or we're going to run the sequel show. How about that? Yeah, I figure it's going to be a bonus show, one way or the other. It's just a question of whether we do it officially. Like, oh, it's a Thursday. We're going to do it live, or we just do it off air and just you know, throw it up All there. All right, we'll, dis- we'll discuss that in the next two days. We'll do an email thing. Sounds good. All right, everybody. All right. So uh, let's talk about next week. Uh, yeah. where we hopefully will not have all these problems with technical glitches and we won't have to get uh, quite so much of the, the political whatever out of our chests. We, didn't, we won't have the last three or four months to deal with uh, to address. Um, so uh, there is no great genius without some touch of madness, Aristotle once penned. It's quoted by Seneca. And in no case does this aphorism greater apply than with respect to the inimitable Klaus Kinski, famed for his work with the similarly mad Teutonic filmmaker Werner Herzog, whose highly amusing relationship with him was documented in My Best Fiend. Uh, Kinski has spent over a decade working on German Edgar Wallace creamies and Italian and Spanish spaghetti and paella westerns before ever meeting Herzog, and would spend the better part of the next decade storing an ever quirkier Euro and U.S. slasher film productions, including some from Franco, while delivering bizarre spoken word performances where he'd work himself into a lather claiming he was Jesus Christ. And then there's mm-hmm. All I Need is Love, his great biography. So join us as we stare into the Nietzschean abyss that is the life and career of Klaus Kinski uh, next week, Into the Mouth of Madness with Klaus Kinski. Uh, so uh, anything else you want to say before we close out the show? Yes, our, our beloved audience should be prepared to uh, scare. <laughs> to, to, yeah, I don't know what to say about this next show, but it's going to be an interesting one. Uh, I don't want to say something uh, off color yet, but uh, we might have some new listeners. That's why. I don't want to alienate them yet. Um, so, yeah, it'll be a very interesting show. Thanks for listening tonight. Uh, we appreciate it. And I'm uh, sorry again for technical difficulties. And uh, just look for uh, uh, on my page or Dark we'll Savage's you know. page. Yeah, we'll let you know how we're going to approach this, whether you want to go for the full four-hour version of this, which are longer. And uh, I'm thinking it'll definitely be a second show. It's just a question of do we do it off-air and upload it as part okay. B, or do we actually schedule it as a formal show? Because, uh, you know, obviously right. I don't want to let it sit around forever. We just did this stuff, so why not, you know, cool it off Yeah, soon. yeah. No, I agree. I agree. All right. So uh, we will see you next week for Klaus Kinski, and we'll let you know shortly on the Twitter and on the Facebook page and uh, even on the WordPress page, uh, which are weirdscenes1.wordpress.com, uh, Twitter, which is at weirdscenes1, or uh, facebook.com forward slash weirdscenes1. And uh, we will keep you appraised. So in the meantime, we will see you next Thursday. Thanks for listening tonight. I uh, hope you enjoyed our little uh, half of a discussion about your visiting bond. Uh, join us next time as we talk Klaus Kinski. Uh, 
don't have my script up, so <laughs> that's it. That's all you get for me. Yeah, yeah, it's next Wednesday. Oh, next Wednesday. I'm sorry. That's right. It will be next Wednesday. We're breaking schedule for one week. Uh, Wednesday the 14th. So, see you then. Suggestions or you're a filmmaker, musician, like to join us on here. Drop us a line on our Facebook page, uh, facebook.com forward slash weird scenes one, or our website, weird scenes one.wordpress.com. We're also on Twitter, as I've mentioned, uh, twitter.com forward slash weird scenes one, or at weird scenes one. Uh, stay tuned, and we will see you next week with Klaus Kinski. is at eye level. A reductio ad absurdum look at the headlines from politics to pop culture, from the corporate to the individual. Every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern, we take a not-so-serious look at the serious issues of the day. Whether it's politics, economics, social issues, music, or old movies and TV shows, we discuss everything the corporate media overlooks while making you laugh at the absurdity of it all. Hell, you've got to have a sense of humor about life. Just look at the headlines. So join me, Matt G. And me, Doc Savage. Every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern as we navigate the sea of trolls, talking points, and trickery. We try to figure out a way to be there when tomorrow comes. At eye level, bringing more to you. Only on the Big Papa Network on Blog Talk Radio.